I'm Kyle. And I'm Trevor. And welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and in essence, catch up on our cinema. So it is the month of March 2021, and we are in the midst of our March of the Monsters event month, uh, where in anticipation of the Godzilla vs. Kong film dropping on HBO Max at the end of the month and arriving in theaters very shortly, as far as I understand, uh, we've been reviewing some of the earlier entries uh, of the filmographies of those two respective characters. So that would be Godzilla, uh, who began his career in 1954, and King Kong, who began his even earlier in 1933. Uh, so this week, uh, we're going to be covering a film that I gave Kyle every opportunity <laughs> to not cover. Um, however, he was very insistent that, you know, that I've heard some shit about this. I got to see this. I got to mm-hmm. see this train wreck. Uh, that would be... Uh, John Gillerman's uh, King Kong from 1976. Uh, most important thing to know about this production is that uh, Dino De Laurentiis uh, from Italy uh, was the chief producer of the project, um, and his fingerprints are kind of all over it. Uh, take take from that what you will. <laughs> but uh, Kyle, uh, normally we don't do this, but uh, I'd like to I'd like to just ask you straight up what what did you think of this one? <laughs> Uh, disappointing in that it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be and that it started off really strong and it just kind of goes nowhere, unfortunately. Like it had, I think it had real potential to be a pretty good movie. I think the casting was really good. Uh, I wanted to punch Charles Grodin. He's just, he has a punchable face and demeanor. I don't know what it is about him. Um, and you've got the dude, you've got, you know, Jeff Bridges in here, uh, Put a pin in that because I wanted to ask you something. Um, and then I think the thing that really makes this movie uh, worth the watch, even though it's bad, is the smoke show that is Jessica Lang. Yeah, uh, Jessica Lang making her on-screen debut. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as I understand, she was um, hand-picked by producer Dino De Laurentiis. And uh, at the time, she was strictly just like a model. Um, mm-hmm. As far as I know, she didn't really have acting experience. But uh, if you ask me, I mean smoke show that she was and currently is um she she kind of brought it for this for this role like it's actually kind of shocking that um i was telling you before we started recording that curiously enough in our giant monster movie like from a script standpoint from a character standpoint uh this character dwan fuck that name by the way (laughs) she even has to explain how stupid it is (laughs) it's like swan but but with a d yeah i just decided to flip some letters to make it more memorable it's like oh Oh my god (laughs) yeah um, but that's what i'm talking about though it's like yes that's that's an embarrassing line that's an embarrassing name for that character however if you look at that character just on paper um it's kind of a demanding performance like Mm -hmm. it's a layered performance that you actually do have to have talent to make work otherwise she would just come across as just a completely you know she'd be a space cadet just a complete dunce uh or a bimbo or something but there's layers to it where she actually comes across as like a very sympathetic and actually very sad character in many ways and it's to her credit that you're able to see that even though the character literally is kind of an idiot (laughs) well i think the casting is really good in this movie i like the the little character actors in here uh there's a few i'd like to point out as we move as we kind of get into it but um 
Oh, I was going to say the, uh, I think this movie does a really good job with character development. Like you, you have a, not necessarily a villain, but, um, a guy that you really don't like. Um, you can pretty much rally behind Jeff Bridges in anything, but I think he, he's pretty good in here as the hippie and, uh, and her, I think, uh, I think the performances are good in this. Oh, I wish there was more of, uh, uh, pops Griswold, the Clark W. Griswold's dad. He's the captain. Oh, 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 shit! I didn't make that connection. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's that's Clark W. Griswold's dad. Um, I okay, his, very nice. Yeah, I, I liked him in this movie. I'm like, I wish they did a little bit more time on the ship. Um, and I really, I actually really liked that sequence. I love the beginning part of the movie when, like, we're on the ship, kind of uh, figuring out what's going on. Um, it's fun, and then I, I'm not sure exactly where it goes wrong, but it does. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, I'll I'll ask you to give a plot rundown. Not that we need one, but uh, yeah. before that, I'll just uh, get the customary production details out okay. of the way. Um, so, a little thing happened in the '70s called a movie called Jaws, um, directed by Steven Spielberg. Uh, the story goes that uh, Dino De Laurentiis, you know, very prolific, very very powerful producer, Italian producer. Um, has has his name attached to countless high-profile productions. Um, I think Serpico was one of the really big ones he had in the 70s. He's cool. had many big ones. Um, and big would uh, kind of become an important word to associate with his filmography um, around the time King Kong was made. Um, but the story goes, uh, he was very taken with the idea of Jaws and, of course, the financial success of Jaws. Uh, and so he kind of made it like a like a passion project of his. He was like, God damn it! I want my own big shark thing! <laughs> so King Kong, uh, somehow he worked out a deal with Paramount to like secure the rights um, to the character. And uh, this project came together. And apparently uh, Roman Polanski at one point was fingered to be the director, uh, which would have probably been a really interesting and probably much better film. <laughs> I think so, yes. Yeah, um, but later on, uh, he'd also wow. make Orca in 1977, which is a, a film that I I have a very, very soft spot for, mostly because of what it is. Um, and it has like a mythic vibe to it. That um, It's not a very good movie, um, but it has one of the most beautiful soundtracks um, I, I know of. Um, it's done by Ennio Morricone, who is, of course, you know, one of our greatest composers we've ever had. Um, but the movie itself is downright silly at times um, and kind of criminally boring at other times. But somehow it, it just works for me personally. But anyway, I, I'm not going to go into too much more detail here. But the, the idea is um, just keep in the back of your mind that King Kong kind of came to light because uh, this guy, Dino, wanted a big big monster movie to make all the money. And he never really got what he wanted. Although as far as I understand, this film did all right. Um, but it, it was pretty, massive. It, it was massively expensive, though. Is the problem? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it yeah. was one of the biggest movies of its day. Some of his highlights as a producer: Halloween Two, Conan the Barbarian. Uh, we have another Conan, Dune, which I think that would have been his next big one. Uh, nothing against David Lynch, but you know, what are you gonna do? Uh, Raw Deal, Manhunter, Blue Velvet. Like, it looks like he's worked with David Lynch a few times. Army of Darkness. Like, he's got a lot of shit on here. 
yeah no he he's a very prolific very powerful producer he's given us many good things Mm -hmm. Um, this unfortunately doesn't really quite land in the good zone it's more towards the middle yeah um yeah (laughs) Yeah. but um other thing to to note here is a director uh, john gillerman um we actually ended up recording this episode a little uh later than we normally do which left me with a a few days to just sit on my hands or not so in my case i decide hmm i don't know this guy john gillerman but i've seen in interviews that like people just kind of like throw their hands up and say like, oh john gillerman of course he's he's the right guy for the job it's like the fuck did this guy do and uh immediately i i, I in glancing over his filmography i noticed that he directed the towering inferno only a couple of years before and i'd never seen that movie but i'd always wanted to because a i love disaster movies um, especially if the natural variety, but I'll settle for, you know, a man-made disaster as well. Um, and it's also one of those disaster movies that has a cast of thousands. Mm-hmm. Like it has like everybody in it from the mid seventies. It has OJ Simpson. Yeah. OJ Simpson. And, uh, one of my favorites, Robert Wagner. Um, <laughs> he's only in it for a little bit, but I mean, you got Steve McQueen and Paul Newman headlining the cast. It's a, it's a, it's a star studded cast and it was a very big special effects heavy production. Uh, so in learning that I was like oh that does make sense although I did watch it and it has a very different feel it's a very very different movie I have mixed feelings about it mostly having to do with like the the pace of it but I will say this much um, whenever we got to do another uh, cinematic deaths episode because Mm. this movie has a couple that I I need to tell people about (laughs) (laughs) I was I was like oh shit (laughs) like like really i was like you could do that in the 70s <laughs> to that guy <laughs> like but he's a guy like he's a big name guy um but yeah as far as i know uh, he probably got the gig um either because roman polanski was busy or because he had experience dealing with uh like heavy optical effects and like big sets and uh big big egos on the set so that that's my guess um and I guess some of the other details uh, I can just share as we go. So, um, Kyle, uh, would you like to give a, a plot rundown for King Kong 76? Um, yeah. It should be, it should be, you know, fish in a barrel. <laughs> yeah. I think the reason why Roman Polanski wasn't doing it was because, well, no, actually, never mind. I'm what sorry. was he up to at the time? Uh, I thought this came out, uh, after, or I thought this came out before Rosemary's baby, Rosemary, ba- Rosemary's baby was, uh, 68, uh, so it oh, was. Oh wow, that was yeah. a while ago. Yeah, it was a while ago. So I'm not sure why Roman Polanski didn't uh, didn't do that, but uh, yeah. So this is pretty close to the original. Uh, just kind of is it goes off a little bit different. So instead of a movie producer, we have uh, a guy who works for an oil company who believes he's found a big big old pile of. Uh, oil on this island and come to find out there is oil but there's also a big giant uh, gorilla and their plan is to uh much like uh king king kong versus godzilla uh use him as a marketing ploy uh to sell more oil and uh, marry mishaps and sue <laughs> yes uh it's always important to wrap up pretty much every plot description with that phrase uh, in this case yeah the most <laughs> merry of merry mishaps yeah M- mishaps um, yeah kind of <laughs> um but yeah i i don't know if you want to cover this movie beat for beat uh, it's actually not that hard to do because not a whole lot happens no it's actually pretty uh, so easy 
yeah, many of these scenes end up being 10, 15 minutes long and exactly nothing happens in them. Uh, so we actually could hit it bullet point by bullet point and, you know, be back in time for cornflakes. Uh, but yeah, they, I, I do have to give this movie like all the credit in the world for having a decent opening. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I like not, the score. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up because I heard like three notes of the score and without knowing I was like, that's John Barry. And do you know who John Barry is? Kyle? I do not. Okay, well, um, he's not as important to you, I don't think, um, because John Barry is most known for doing uh, most of the early John- James Bond films. Mm. Um, so he gave us the James Bond theme music, and he did the scores for most of those early Bond movies, and and some of the ones from like the '80s and stuff. Um, he he's very talented but he does have a sound mm. um and the second the strings kicked in i was like where's roger moore <laughs> like, like, like shouldn't christopher walken be showing up and fighting king kong on the golden gate bridge or something <laughs> like, but yeah it, actually the score is quite pretty um especially like the more romantic like contemplative bits uh, but i found it so fucking distracting because all I could all I could visualize with gotcha. every note of it was fucking Sean Connery and Roger Moore and even Timothy Dalton and shit. I was like, ah, John Barry, you 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 are too Barry. Let's say like um, a John Williams score is very iconic, and it's and you do not get it confused with anything else. Yeah, uh, John Williams. Uh, funny enough, um, I believe he did the score for the Towering Inferno, hmm. um, and. That was another case where I heard the f- first few notes, and I was like, "Is that Johnny?" <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it it totally was. It was an early score of his, and I was like, "Wow, he was he's been doing good work since the Cradle, apparently." <laughs> um, I I hope he still has a few good scores left in him. I don't know if he's retired by now, um, mm. but like Danny Elfman, I want to say at, at some point you start to like get a little bit lazy. Danny Elfman's been lazy for a while He has, unfortunately um, I think one of the last good ones I can think of for him Was uh, that Wanted movie that nobody saw That the was James McAvoy? Yeah Ooh. Only good part of it, really uh, Is uh, hearing Morgan Freeman uh, Use the phrase, this motherfucker <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah Old Morgan Freeman dropping f bombs. I haven't heard that ever. Is is that directed by one of the Three Stooges of Agro nonsense? Nope, you it's would not. Think, That's a different. You one. would think it's a Russian fella. Mm. Uh, it's the guy who did uh, Daybreakers, I think. I am familiar uh, the, with that. Oh, he did the re- he did the Ben Hur remake. Oh, Toby Kebbell's in that. You gotta watch out, buddy. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not also gonna Morgan watch- Freeman. Morgan Freeman with, with dreads. Oh wow. Yeah. Uh, he was probably a holdover from uh, Wanted, where it's just like, I've worked with him before. Sure, I'll take a paycheck. And it's like, oh, Toby Kebbell's on set. He also <laughs> did the Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter movie. He has a particular lane. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> anyway, yeah, uh, so the opening of this movie um, does open very similar to the original 1933 King Kong. Uh, we get a title. Uh, so we have like a a, a ship in a harbor and like an on-screen title saying Surabaya. So I think that's in Indonesia yeah, uh, or thereabouts. Um, and then they don't drag it out. That's actually to this movie's benefit. This is one of the few instances where they don't. Um, but we just have a couple of 
fellas, like just just guys who work on the ship, um, talking about what they're going to be doing whenever they get to where they're going. Um, and it does. It has that kind of like air of mystery about it that the original had. Although it it doesn't have like the exposition dump that I thought I found very charming in the original King Kong, where it's just like two characters who will never play a part in yeah. anything to come. It's like, hey, what's the ship doing? Where is it going? I'll tell you where it's going, buddy. <laughs> I hear there's a director who's gonna go find a movie somewhere. Yeah, he's looking for a big giant gorilla. <laughs> ah, got it. That's why the cargo's full of bananas. <laughs> yeah, you don't really know like. We know because we just watched King Kong. We're like, all right, they're going to be going to an island for something. But yeah, you, I like how you don't really know what's going to happen. Uh, I love, I love how I love how Jeff Bridges' characters. Uh, what's his name? I just call him the hippie or the dude. It doesn't really matter. Uh, so he is Jack Prescott, um, yeah. and I can't remember if uh, the original Jack is the. I think they changed the last name. Um, from the original King Kong, but I think he was also a Jack, uh, the 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 skinny guy with the pants. <laughs> and uh, I think all the other major character names, the the basic silhouette, the basic outline of say the Fay Ray character and uh, whatever his fuck was, um, those two characters are basically present, but their names have been changed and their interpretations are totally different. Um, but yeah, do you want to do you want to yeah. let us know how uh, how Jeff Bridges enters the film? I love it because he's showing up and he's about to like request permission to go uh, into the shipyard and he like stumbles out of the car like he's hammered drunk. I'm like, yeah, that's about right. <laughs> that is on point, sailor. <laughs> you look like you're about to go onto a ship, dude. <laughs> your liberty's over, bro. Uh, but yeah, he the the guard tells him like, fuck off, you can't get on here, and he drops a wad of cash in front of this i mean it's a lot of money uh he gets in there no problem and he sneaks onto this boat really well he uh goes onto one of the mooring lines he like tosses his sea bag and he scales the rope and gets right onto the ship and i'm like damn that was pretty cool i don't know how he does it he was very really close but yeah he stows away onto the ship yeah i think he like hides under a tarp on like one of the lifeboats or something yeah dude and they're in like high seas when he's out in that show i'm like dude that is some dangerous <laughs> it is super dangerous yeah later on we do get to see him out in the elements and it's like Ooh. you may want to move yeah, buddy yeah. <laughs> like get out of get there that inside. doesn't look safe <laughs> but yeah not to make too many monkey jokes but he did look like a squirrel monkey or something yeah. or a lemur crawling along this road because yeah. <laughs> whoever that stunt actor was they knew what they were doing i don't think it would have changed the this movie at all uh i i think it would have been just as fun if you had kurt russell playing this role oh man kyle you're breaking my heart because that would make that would just make such a better movie if you ask me uh, see, I, I like jeff bridges quite a bit but this movie is in desperate need of fun yes and he is the guy Can and you imagine he is him? The, he is fun personified <laughs> uh, the sexual charisma between him and uh, jessica lang like yeah that would be a lot of fun have you ever seen any of those absolutely no words uh like youtube clips where basically they take someone speaking and they remove all the words and only keep the breathing yes <laughs> yes i have i watched one it was really funny it is uh grease uh they did it for oh I'm, I'm sh i haven't seen that but i'm sure it's hilarious I'll it have to is look awkward that yeah <laughs> i mean my favorite is of course the ultimate warrior I'm just <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> but you could totally do that if you had king kong 76 and you had jessica lang 
and Kurt Russell. You could do that for like all the hair flips. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like yeah. every shot with either of them begins with a hair flip. <laughs> it's just like. Yeah, I, you know what? He might be too much fun for this movie. That's the, I think he it's what is. He, that's the problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's too much fun. Uh, but he's yeah, too I, much fun. I th- but him, I think him playing off of Charles Grodin would have been a lot of fun. Oh yeah, no, he would have lots of zingers. He would, well, the main difference would be Charles Grodin is an awkward character in this movie because the performance he is giving is out of step with everyone else. Mm-hmm. He is a cartoon character. He is he's borderline. <laughs> Montana Max slash Yosemite Sam. Um, Dude, he, <laughs> I'm not going to derail us, but I'm watching Peaky Blinders right now. I like the show. It's it's an okay show. I've got a lot of problems with it, but there's things that it does that I like. But one thing that does not work for that is uh, Adrian Brody playing an Italian because it's like who framed Roger Rabbit. Everybody else is playing a normal, real-life person, and he, Roger Rabbit's into that, playing a cartoon Italian. It is insane what they were thinking. Oh dear, I I can't even picture what that would be. It's it's quite goofy. You can find clips hopefully on YouTube. Uh, <laughs> I mean, okay. he's doing like a uh, he's doing a little bit of a Don Corleone, you know, and he's always chewing on a toothpick. Yeah. Okay, I was picturing more like what was his name, like Mauricio in Titanic, I think. Oh no no no, uh, Fabrizio I think. Something Fabrizio, like, Fabrizio. Something, it had an O. No, that guy was more subtle. <laughs> oh fuck! <laughs> God damn. No, well, uh, let me let me be clear now. Adrian Brody's playing a New York gangster from oh, the La okay. Coca that, Nostra. Yeah, yeah. La oh, Cosa okay. Nostra. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, let's get it right. We may have listeners. Yeah. <laughs> don't want to offend. It's really goofy. Anyway, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's fine. But yeah, Charles Grodin is a cartoon character in this. Yeah. He is chewing all the scenery, and actually, he makes me laugh more mm-hmm. often than not. I forget um, how funny he, there's, he is. There's yeah. one part after they capture Kong where he strikes this particular pose. Where it's yeah. like, <laughs> it's what pretty the fuck? funny. The pictures <laughs> that Jeff Bridges' character is taking of him, he's like, all right, I'm going to get you getting off the boat, and he's like walking all Yeah, stoic. he's doing the MacArthur <laughs> beach landing and shit, or, or the leaving, rather, the I shall return. But. Um, Jeff Bridges, on the other hand, is also in a different movie. Mm-hmm. Like nobody, nobody's in the same fucking movie in this movie because oh, Jeff Bridges yeah. is actually like kind of obnoxiously earnest in this movie. Yeah, like his earnestness was kind of grating. Like I was like, dude, calm down. You're, you're you will be the dude. Like just just be chill about things. I think uh, there might be some context for that. So this is 1976. Uh, and I'm basing this off of what I've seen from Mad Men. There's a character on there by the name of Abe. And Abe is very progressive uh, for the time. Like he's uh, very much into social justice, which at the time was not, you know, there was a divide in the country. Not that there isn't someone else. Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, sorry about that. Um, but I think, but Abe in the show is he doesn't have the sense of humor that everybody else has and he's way more earnest than everybody so I think this might be just kind of of the time like he might be representing a character in this decade in this situation well it's you know like what I, it's like post Nixon post Vietnam America mm-hmm. um, rise of corporations and stuff yes. like th- there, there was a chunk of the country that was really just tired of all the bullshit and yeah. i i could see them identifying with this you know kind of like 
educated hippie type character Mm -hmm. it's like he was he was part of the system now he's no longer part of the system and he's using his knowledge to combat the system (laughs) well that's what abe is abe's a writer and he's a very intelligent hippie and the show yeah yeah i could totally see that being an archetype that that played better Mm -hmm. in in 1976 than it does today um today it's just like i don't know like in particular his uh his uh relationship with Jessica Lang in this movie is just utterly confusing. It's very confusing. Uh, That doesn't make that math don't add up. (laughs) Uh, How she got into this into this situation, it doesn't sound like she'd be interested in Jeff Bridges' character, and and vice versa. Yeah, Um, yeah. Because have you heard her talk, Jeff? (laughs) Like Mr. Prescott, have have you listened to her speak? (laughs) She's she's being very serious. She believes everything that's coming out of her mouth right now. (laughs) um but yeah anyway uh this whole opening sequence on the docks and stuff uh jack he like kyle had said uh, he stows away on board and we get to meet uh charles groden who is playing uh, fred s wilson who is an employee of the petrox company Mm -hmm. which is a fictional oil corporation however they do name a couple of real life oil corporations they're apparently in competition with so he is setting out on this journey from indonesia to uh seek oil uh, th- that's what all the people on the ship seem to understand anyway i think there was a gas this was the, during the time of the 70s when there was a gas shortage either it was like at the time or right after yeah that sounds right um i know it was the 70s i couldn't tell you what part of the 70s so whenever for sure that was a thing whenever the good guys took place i just remembered it was in that movie <laughs> um but yeah, we meet him, and uh, credit to him as an actor, we can tell just from his his obscene clothing mm. and uh, his facial expressions and the way he's always gnashing his teeth. That you, and it's like, yeah, that guy's a prick. Like, yeah. like he hasn't even done anything yet, and I can already tell he's supposed to be an asshole. He's got a giant head and no neck. Like he's got like a, a really thin neck. He has a very potato head kind of like look. <laughs> He has a very, very, very punchable face. He is a very punchable face. <laughs> yeah. I don't um, remember him being also, that punchable in uh, in Clifford. And he's supposed to be kind of punchable. He's even more punchable here. Charles Grown's one of these really strange actors for me anyway, where I hear his name and I, I picture, um, what's his face? Michael Gross, I think. That name sounds um, familiar. Bert from Tremors. Uh, for some reason, I, my wires get crossed because I don't think I've actually seen Charles Grodin in many things. But for some reason, I just picture that every time his name comes up. And I'm always very like confused when I'm wrong. <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't think I've ever seen him in that much. But his name comes up all the fucking time. So he must have been a very prolific actor at some point. Yeah, Midnight Run is his big one. Uh, Beethoven, obviously. Uh, I think Midnight Run is his, his biggest oh, one. Oh, he was in, was he like the lead in that? In what? Midnight Run? Uh, I, it looks like it. It looks like he, yeah. Him, De Niro, Yafet Kodo, John Ashton. Okay. So, okay. Danis Farina. What the hell is this movie? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a movie you should watch. Kyle. Yeah. I could use more De it's Niro. It's a hell of a cast. Yeah. It's a hell of a cast. Um, but yeah, uh, we also get um, one of the many character actors in this cast. Um, I'm not going to single out everybody, but I, I will say that Corbin Burnson is apparently in this film. As is Joe Piscopo, uh, <laughs> and uh, Peter Piscopo. Cullen. Yeah, Joe Piscopo is apparently a reporter in this film. <laughs> I didn't see him, but I'm just looking at the cast list right now. And uh, John Lone, 
uh, plays Chinese cook. However, uh, as far as I know, he doesn't have any lines, and he must have been in the background of a lot of shots because I didn't. I, I would have known Ricky Tan anywhere, and I yeah. did not see. I did not see Ricky Tan. Um, also, another trivia fact: Peter Cullen provided some of the uh, vocalizations of King Kong. That would be the voice of Optimus Prime. Mm. I don't like the King Kong, and I don't like the growl in this movie. It's awful. Yeah, it's I one of the like worst it. parts of the presentation of Kong in this film. I think it's overbearing, and when he's growling, it's too frequent. Like it just, it they almost overdo it. Uh, there is one character, one of the character, two other character actors I want to point out. Uh, you might have mentioned him. Uh, he was the Reverend in the Patriot. Uh, he's the scientist. Uh, he was the he was the next one on my list. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I'm gonna butcher the name. Or do you want to take a? Story? I, do you I have wrote any down- French. I wrote, I wrote down Reverend from the Patriot. <laughs> how how are you at French, Kyle? Uh, les incompetents. <laughs> okay, very very good, sir. Um, Rene Aubergenois. Sounds good to uh, me. That's what I'm gonna say. Uh, but yeah, uh, he plays Roy Bagley in this. Um, I didn't even catch his name, but uh, basically he's the chemist who is mm. there to determine if uh, the oil that they they are attempting to discover is usable and. My God, this guy's credits are amazing. Um, he, we also have covered a movie with him in it. Um, that would be Batman Forever. Uh, he plays Dr. Burton, um, the doctor who is made up to look like Tim Burton, basically, uh, at Arkham Asylum. I don't remember him. Uh, well, he's in there. Oh, and, uh, he, yes, 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 at the very end. Is he at the very, very end? Very end. Yeah. Very end. Um, and he's... Mostly, like most of his credits are voice credits. Uh, he hmm. has a wonderful speaking voice. He, he has a very prim and proper way of talking, like an intellectual affect. Mm-hmm. Um, and he does a lot of animation and stuff. Um, and he was also, I think, one of the key members of uh, Deep Space Nine. I think oh. he played like Odo, I think, the guy with the stretchy face. <laughs> oh, okay. I know you're talking about. Um, yeah. yeah, he is one of my favorite scenes because it's how I would react to the situation is laugh hysterically at the fact that uh, the oil discovered will not be usable uh, <laughs> one uh two or one other uh character actor i want to point out was dennis fimple uh if you notice who he is he was grandpa hugo in house of a thousand corpses that crazy old dude doing the stand-up comedy uh he passed away like right after that movie was completed um he has a very peculiar face uh he is like he almost looks like uh, lon cheney is it lon cheney who did phantom of the opera where he has like yes. these bug eyes yes. and his nose is kind of upturned, um, you just you recognize his face. He was also kind of an extra in Maverick. Um, I remember he was the dude taking a shot of milk at the at the poker table. Um, he's just somebody I noticed, but I'm like, this is the the movie. I think this is the most I've ever seen him do in a movie. Is he a is he a big fella? No, he's actually very very short, very short and kind of chubby. Okay, because there's a there's a guy in here where it kind of like. I wanted to complete the uh, the John Barry uh, connection because there's a there's a guy who works on the ship uh, who falls off a log at some point uh, who looked kind of like uh, Richard uh, Keel uh, Jaws from James ah. Bond, um, but no, it's just some other guy with a uh, deep set cheekbones and uh, yeah brow ridges and stuff. But <laughs> anyway, uh, so our opening sequence part of what makes it work is that there's like no music and it all plays out like just like ambient sound and whatnot. Um, and we don't get the John Barry score kicking in, and it comes in pretty strong until we have this like big establishing shot of the ship in all its glory, and uh, uh, Roy and Fred, 
Uh, so Charles Grodin, uh, they like clink some glasses of liquor. And uh, I think the, the send off phrase is like, here's to the big one. And then we cut to that shot of the whole ship and we get the John Barry music sting. And then we set sail and we get all the opening credits. And uh, this is where we get to see uh, Jeff Bridges in the uh, not so great weather. Um, and I, I did kind of enjoy uh, Charles Grodin's physical acting here where we get to see the ship rocking uh-huh. and like all the stuff sliding around on the table and he just looks like grim death. Yeah. <laughs> I like uh, the captain's like, you know, I never tell you about the time that I ate uh, like a whole herring. And he's like, reminds me of Amsterdam, <laughs> ate a whole herring. He's trying to say things to make this guy want to puke. And he does. He goes outside and pukes. Oh, uh, that's what's so great, though, is he literally goes outside. Yeah. So when he comes back, he's drenched <laughs> in like his dress shirt and stuff but yeah we do get to see that jeff bridges uh, gets out from his hidey hole and somehow enters the ship i don't know how but um pretty much immediately after this we get a briefing sequence mm-hmm. um which in king kong 33 i think it took a little while longer to get this it but... took like a half hour to get to that yeah yeah i was kind of shocked by that i didn't remember that upon rewatching it but yeah it does take its time uh, not not like the peter jackson version that takes good solid hour but um but yeah uh, we get a briefing where uh it's similar circumstances uh the major difference between this and the 33 version is that we're on an expedition for oil um not to make a film um and also charles groden's characterization is a little bit different where um the film director in the first one was portrayed as kind of courageous actually Mm -hmm. like he was bullheaded and kind of a dick but uh for the most part he he meant well and he was shown to be like have a level head in a crisis whereas charles groan's like he's a chicken shit heel as they'd say in wrestling <laughs> but, um, he's not very capable but i i like his uh what do you call that it's like a ascot scar- it's, oh, yeah he has like an ascot or something yeah. <laughs> and like a traditional like safari gear and stuff uh while he's doing this briefing but it's you know typical 1970s slideshow and uh, apparently, it's a similar situation to the 30s where uh, we've set sail without really disclosing what we're doing. Um, and I actually, I like the way the uh, the fog bank is handled in this movie. I do too. Um, I mean, the, the concept is introduced here in the slideshow. And the idea is we have a series of photographs of the same part of the ocean, which is uncharted for the most part, um, where there's a fog bank that even after 35 years or something is stable it hasn't moved which means it's probably just it's not just gas on the on the ocean it's probably an island uh, so this is an uncharted island and based on the vapor composition from like satellite photos it's the 70s we're talking about satellites and shit uh, we're assuming uh, keyword assuming <laughs> that there's oil here yeah uh, uh, I yeah, he's given this brief. I do like this guy, uh, the dude with the like crow magnon jaw, like this this big dude. And that's that's a, the jaws looking guy. Yeah, Joe. <laughs> his name is Joe. He uh, he answers one of the questions, and uh, I like how uh, Charles Grodin's like, "Good job, Joe. I'm actually surprised you got that." Because <laughs> like, you look like you can't read, man. Uh, <laughs> so, he doesn't say that, but I like. I feel like that was like. I'm actually surprised that you picked up on that. Good job. But yeah, Jeff Bridges kind of slinks in, and uh, uh, he just kind of interrupts. He's like, you know, they think there's probably a fucking big gorilla on there or something. And they're like, wait, who the fuck are you, and what are you talking about? Uh, but, yeah, he goes through this whole spiel. Like, as soon as he starts talking, you're like, okay, I don't – this doesn't 
I'm not buying this, dude. He starts quoting stuff from like the 1600s. Like, there's like a, a shipwreck, and guys that made it out uh, said that there was something big there. And Charles Grodin's like, what does this have to do with anything? Who, who, who are you? <laughs> he uses one of my favorite uh, descriptors. He calls him a joker. He's like, who is this joker? Is this joker? <laughs> like, it's not part of my vocabulary, but uh, I have some people in my life who it is, and I, I always titter like a schoolgirl whenever I hear people get called a joker. <laughs> I, go with, I go with jabroni. <laughs> that's a good one yeah that one hasn't been my vocabulary since i was about 13 though. makes sense um yeah <laughs> but um yeah basically jack announces himself to everybody uh charles groden is none too happy about it because he's like you're a stowaway on my ship oh, yeah. and i like how he's like he has this fixation on on his shirt where he's like you see this shit see what i have to put up with <laughs> Oh, oh, I didn't hear it. The neighbor's upstairs. She's singing. Shut the fuck up! <laughs> no happiness in this household. Start brooming. No them. expressions of happiness. Yeah. Start brooming. I do want to. I, I do want to broom it someday. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> Godzilla, shut up. Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> um. Anyway. Uh, yeah, he has this fixation on his shirt because he's wearing one of the crewmen's uniforms. He's like, where did he get this shirt? Why is he wearing your shirt? <laughs> like, yeah. like that's, that's like company budget right there. He can't be wearing that. It's not hard to come by those things. Yeah, he thinks he's a corporate uh, a corporate spy. And that's why he's like, you, you're here for other reasons. You're here as a corporate spy. Yeah, he's assuming that it's like some corporate espionage shit going on. He's trying to steal the sight from them, essentially. Because there is a lot of talk throughout the movie of like, oh, we got to get there now because it'll get poached or something, basically. It'll get yeah. yanked out from under us. But uh, they take him into a back room and interrogate him. And they take like all of his papers. He does like have all of his passports and like papers yeah. in order. And the captain even does try to like get him out of it by being like, yeah, like I did buy some charts in town. Like what he's saying about how he discovered our expedition, it checks out. And Charles Grodin's like, nah, nah. Put and I like how he's yeah. like... Yeah, he's like, put him in the brig, but I like that the, there's, like, another detail. And, and similar to telling the big guy, like, that's that's very insightful. Good job, Joe. Yeah. Like, similar to that, maybe it was ad-libbed or something because, like, they they gave him a sandwich. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And as they're taking him away, he's like, no, leave no. the sandwich. <laughs> it's so good. Because he's about to take a bite of it. I think he even gets, like, a, a bite of it. And he's like, no, 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 no. You, you'll get your sandwich. It's a, it's a real bitchy move. Uh, you'll get the it, sandwich. It's like. It's like you're punishing a child. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, leave the sandwich. I mean, it was a white bread turkey sandwich, man. I mean, it wasn't going to give you much, but it was going to give you something. Yeah, some American cheese. Yeah. You know, probably, you know it's good because it's American. <laughs> probably has a Miracle Whip on it, uh, which is Ooh. disgusting. I've uh, never had, but it, it looks off. It's not good. Um, it makes me sad just to look at the bottom. So, uh, what happens here? I have my notes, fucking hippie, and then use your glasses. Uh, <laughs> yeah, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. So He gets out somehow. Yeah, uh, they're, they're like escorting him to a different part of the ship. So, we're taking Jeff Bridges, a.k.a. Jack, and we go out to the deck, and it's magically daytime. Uh, I, guess, I guess night passed and everything. Um, and he just looks out into the ocean... And he says, is that something? I think I see something. And every, nobody's listening to him. And he ends up, like, breaking free of the two dudes who are holding him. And he runs 
to a different part of the ship, and there's a guy with binoculars mm-hmm. looking out just in a random direction, pretending to be busy like you do. Yeah. <laughs> and then he tells he asks, he tells the guy, use your glasses. Trevor, it's very important that you pointed that out. While on a ship working in some kind of uh, nautical uh, job, it is imperative that you look busy or someone will make you busy. So, yes. Yeah. It, um, I, we had an uh, army guy. At a at a place you and I both worked at one point, um, who used the term shamming very frequently, mm. and that that was one of, that was probably the most important thing he taught me was that shamming is is military life basically. It really is because <laughs> a lot of times there's nothing to do, but they will make up things for you to do. <laughs> yeah, it's like filmmaking. Hurry up and wait. Get it's paid, like, motherfucker. Uh, <laughs> that's yeah. right. Uh, but yeah, instead of binoculars or or whatever you want to call binox or whatever he, he, he uses the term glasses use your glasses says, use your glasses apparently that's a term <laughs> glassing glassing is a term uh i guess used by some hunters i learned it from your mom's oh. house uh <laughs> used for looking through binoculars so maybe yeah it is a term hey, hey man use your glasses use your glasses man <laughs> use yeah. your glasses man <laughs> there's a hot lady out there oh yeah but, yeah she... so this is this is where we meet the and lady. When she shows up, I legit was like, "Holy testicle Tuesday!" <laughs> like, <laughs> she's a babe. She's a babe. <laughs> oh, yeah, because <laughs> she just hots her way onto the screen. I mean, first shot she's in, Kyle. Mm-hmm. Transparent dress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. D- Dino knew what he was doing. Yeah. <laughs> he was no. He was not stupid. <laughs> Dino's, Dino's no stupid. He's a no stupid. <laughs> Dino's no stupid. He knows but, what's up. Yeah, first, first fucking shot she's in. She, she's wet. She's in a nightgown. Ah, uh, you that, know what? That That's, already works. In the original King Kong, there's actually transparent, uh, yes, which is yes, shocking that it happened. Yeah, in the 1930s. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know there was a little bit of transparency. Here it's a black dress, ah. and yet it's still. Too thin to the point that we can see something. Do you think? Because I would bet you a billion dollars Dino has watched that original King Kong movie and noticed that part of the King Kong movie. Do you think that this is an ode? He's like, no, no, no. It has to be as detailed as possible to the original. So she has to wear that. No, this movie bears so like so little resemblance to the <laughs> original. My, my theory, Kyle, is that he was probably supervised quote-unquote supervising the wardrobe department and like scoring the fabric with like a like like a nail file oh, her something. wardrobe her wardrobe was picked out by a perv yeah so it, it makes yeah. sense yeah uh kyle and i actually talked about this before we recorded we didn't like get into it too much but this this is a very horny movie uh, yeah um, yeah inarguably horny movie um this movie is much more concerned with titillation than it is action Um, Which is kind of disappointing when your movie is called King Kong and is one of the most expensive movies of its day and was advertised with, like, state-of-the-art animatronic special effects. And that's like, oh, but it's just about a horny monkey and a, a horny lady. Yeah, but it's like, what are you getting at, though? That That's what's kind of puzzling about the film. It's like, what is the underlying tone here? What's the What's the message with this? I don't think there really is a message. And when we get to the very last shot of the movie... I think 
that's the most confusing part actually where it's like i know i'm supposed to be feeling something but none of the breadcrumbs you laid down earlier in the film add up to that so wait so you're saying that twas beauty the the twas beauty killed beast in this movie is hey people come like that's that's like the whole that's the whole thing in the movie it's like well what did you get out of that people come you know kyle they we learned in talking just now that joe piscopo was in the cast you couldn't have had him just like sidle up to jessica lang and just say that and then walk off while she's crying <laughs> as frank sinatra yeah yeah yeah, yeah as hey, frank baby, sinatra. some people come <laughs> i'm out yeah <laughs> Uh, but yeah, uh, this is our introduction to Dwan, uh, who is Jessica Lang, and she is in just an inflatable raft in the middle of the goddamn Pacific Ocean. Um, we did actually get some radio chatter earlier in the film. Uh, oh, I didn't catch that. Pointing to, yeah, it's a small detail. It's one of those like somebody in the logistics department of the script, like script editing and stuff, was like, we should probably like lay down some breadcrumbs for that like we should explain why she's here yeah um but there is like some radio chatter the movie doesn't draw any attention to it but they they do have like some radio chatter uh talking about a yacht that's in distress um in the neighboring waters uh so our our ship at sea the the oil expedition isn't making a move to like do a rescue or anything but they're aware of it uh so put two and two together her her life raft came from that yacht uh, so they retrieve her. Uh, the music swoons. It's very romantic, which is a little weird when there's 30 sweaty dudes yeah. uh, ogling an unconscious woman with a see-through dress. <laughs> with the <laughs> but hugest boners, yeah. With the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know how that guy made it up that rope ladder. Um, <laughs> but um, get tangled. Got extra appendages and stuff. <laughs> you got a splinter. <laughs> <laughs> be like the SWAT guy in Die Hard with the rosebush. Ow! <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I will give them credit for this, though. Uh, her her dress does dry out in the next scene. So that's enough of that. That's yeah. enough suggested nipple. Um, and we carry her into, like, somebody's quarters and put her on a bed. And this, this sequence actually is... It's pretty modest. Like, like I like Except that all the... Except for Joe's the... gonna rape her if they don't... <laughs> don't butt in are you kidding me but they're there kyle thank so they god take care. they they take care they put him on a goddamn leash they're like does anybody know cpr like, i know a little bit of cpr but i need all you guys to leave the room right now and they're like eh, <laughs> do you have any credentials joe and he's like eh, eh, nah and they're like you rascal i'm like jesus christ yeah but he does back off and the captain and uh, his his like first mate or whatever, uh, Carnahan, who is played by a character actor who has been in a millionth, Ed Louder. Oh yeah, um, he's I really the, like this guy. Uh, he's the coach. Uh, I don't know if you saw. Uh, God damn it! God, God damn it! Yeah. <laughs> uh, not another teen movie. Yeah, uh, actually playing opposite H. John Benjamin in that scene. That's H. Oh. John Benjamin. Yeah. Oh. God damn it. <laughs> You're lucky to be yeah. in a goddamn uniform, god damn it. <laughs> no, I've I've always liked him. He's done a million movies. Uh, he's he's one of those guys. Yeah. Um but Ed Lauder is his name in case you're curious. Um the two of them are like tending to her, and then I believe Charles Grodin gets the idea in his head that like, hmm, Jack has like a PhD. Maybe he did some doctoring at some point. I don't really follow the logic. Uh, being as he's like a paleontologist or something yeah. <laughs> but, um, but he does actually allow Jeff Bridges to to leave his quarters to go like 
check her vitals and stuff. Um, and then we get like a several minute scene where she's introduced to us proper as a character and not just eye candy. Um, and it's actually kind of compelling. Like her her dialogue is kind of fascinating because she she's obviously a little shell shocked because apparently the yacht like totally went down in the storm or something. Um, but just her demeanor, she's so totally out of it. Yeah. And you think it's because she's in shock, but it's also because she's kind of an airhead. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah she's um, Adam Sandler she, in airheads, just kind of like, huh? <laughs> yeah, she, she's up in outer space. Um, no drugs. No drugs required. That's just no. how she, that's just how she is. But, um, they're trying to, like, ask, do you remember anything? And she's just, like, providing, like, a lot of not very useful information, but, um, I told Kyle this before we started recording. Jessica Lang basically has her own light kit in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, they take very, very, very special care with how she's lit in this movie. Most of the time, actually. Um, there's some hideous lighting in this movie from time to time. Um, but in this scene, she's got, like, really sharp eye light and uh, the angle she's shot from. Like, they're really just trying to make her look as good as possible. Yeah. Um, and her performance is pretty solid here, where she... She has this weird joke about, uh, what was it, um, Deep Throat. Uh, she she was saved by Deep Throat. <laughs> yeah, and Deep Throat this time, uh, was it the like Deep Throat movie that she's referring yeah, to? Yeah, that's okay. what she's referring to. Because my mind went to X-Files. I'm like, how the fuck? She couldn't have watched X-Files. Like, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it's not out yet. No, it was, what, the most... Um, what's financially successful pornographic film in american history or something yeah i i wanted to it was i want to watch it because of its you know cultural significance like i'm just kind of curious as to what it like what it is um but yeah i've never watched it uh but yeah it's i think it was like the yeah it was like the first not mainstream porno but back when they had pornos in movie theaters like it was the it was on the marquee like it was a big deal no, it, it's it's known. It's a part of American history, not just as a film, but also you know for the Watergate scandal, for the name being taken uh, by the people involved in that. But mm. um, it's available on Blu- Blu-ray. I, I remember when we did a catching up on Blu-ray together, you and me, not uh, not me and Brad from Cinema Speak podcast. Uh, we did see it on the release calendar one day. <laughs> so I, if you really want to see no, it, I, you can. I, not for this. I don't think we need to do it for this platform. But that I'm actually, not gonna fucking yeah, do a I'm review not, of Deep Throat. <laughs> of deep throat. Really appreciate the technique. <laughs> <laughs> this week we're doing Deep Throat for some fucking reason. Uh, no, I was thinking skeezy, um, skeezy '90s sexual thrillers. That could be a fun month. Uh, oh, I would, I would really enjoy that because there are mostly too Michael many Douglas. of them. It's mostly, yeah, Michael it's, mo- <laughs> it's mostly Michael Douglas. Yeah, um, but yeah, she explains to us that her name is Dwan, and it's like Dawn, but I move some letters around, and it's more distinct. So like, okay, and uh, she's she's really taken with Jack uh, because the captain outs him as the person who spotted her on the sea. Um, but her joke about Deep Throat was that uh, she was on the yacht in the Pacific because uh, she met a guy who wanted to put her in a movie in uh, Hong Kong. And then apparently he was screening Deep Throat on the yacht and she wasn't interested. So she was up on deck and apparently she had an accident and fell off the ship um, that's before the, it went down. That's the best case scenario for what what situation she was in if you were to tell somebody today <laughs> that same story like holy shit you did what 
My God. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think I want to watch Deep Throat with 30, 30 obscenely rich people in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> don't get on a boat with anybody. Yeah. Yeah, both boats boats are sketch, man. <laughs> people with boats are sketch. Yeah. <laughs> because people, of... people with boats who make movies in Hong Kong just just casually. There's there's something up there. Just don't get on boats with people unless you really know the person. <laughs> Even then, keep an eye out, you know. But yeah, so we have established that uh both of our our sexy leads have made eyes at each other. Uh they're kind of taken with each other. Um and we get a, a montage of just her hanging out on the ship. Uh, like, all the sailors are, like, giving her clothes and stuff. And uh, she's queen for a day. And yeah. uh, we get to see Jessica Lang's butt, because mm-hmm. shower sequence, because. Um, and we also get to see her, like, hanging out with Jeff Bridges and stuff and the rest of the crew. And it seems like everything's going well. And uh, it's it's just music. I don't think there's any dialogue here. There's nothing uh, going fun- on. Yeah, there's nothing going on. There's nothing but, going on. Uh, finally, though, we get to where we're going, and this was where the aforementioned fog comes into play. And I really, this is so simple, but it looks great on it film. It does look really good. Yeah, because we get this shot. It, it's like a, it's like a rotating shot, like surveying the entire deck, and off to the side, like just on the water, there's this huge fog wall, um, and it's like a, it's an actual physical element on on the set or the location that they're filming at it's like there's actual fog there and it looks fantastic um you would have expected this to be like a matte shot or something or a mm-hmm. composite of some sort but no they just put fucking dry ice on the water apparently it <laughs> and it looked it looks fantastic um but here's where we're getting ready to penetrate the fog to see if it there is an island there we've already used the the radar to determine that there's land mass there but we're trying to see if we can land there uh so Duan. Uh, buddies up to Fred, Charles Grodin, and uh, kind of has to really seriously twist his arm to get him to allow her to come to the beach with them. Um, yeah. I, d- I did like that she's like grabbing him by the arm and like kisses him on the cheek. And by the way, part of her story when we're first introduced to her, uh, there's like a very uh, not so subtle element of sadness to the way she's delivering this story, where you can tell that she's kind of been through the ringer in her life and has maybe uh, had had a lot of opportunities go tits up um so she's kind of just trying to make it through life like you can tell she's been run over by the the life train a few times but um i I like that uh jeff bridges it had now has a deal with uh, charles groden where he's like the official expedition photographer and this is how he can like get out of being i don't know thrown in prison or something for stowing away on the ship um, but he's taking a picture of the two of them together, and Charles Grodin's like, "Whoa, whoa, I'm a married man, Jack." Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of funny because like he, he means it, like like he, I'm pretty sure he actually means it, and he's trying his best to be okay with it. Um, but yeah, we head to the beach, and we get like a slightly dramatic scene, not very, of them just like taking a landing craft out to the beach, um, with the the chemist and uh, the the first mate. Um, then we get our beach landing, and uh, holy shit, it's the island of Kauai. Yeah. Uh, because why the fuck not? You I recognize- Worked for Jurassic Park, may as well work for King Kong. I say I recognize this beach from six days, seven nights. I'm like, that's where Harrison Ford and Anne Hayes run up the, the little hill there. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it's a fantastic location. It looks gorgeous. Um, uh, the whole movie, actually, um, I think from a cinematography standpoint, um, just, just the landscapes- some of the shots they got of the island look phenomenal. Yeah. 
And like, there's like one shot in particular where they pull the camera all the way out, probably with like a helicopter or something. Um, it was a drone. Like... <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's the low budget filmmaker's best friend these days. Mm. Um, I always like when they they didn't pony up the cash for like the good drone, so like it has the fisheye effect on the lens oh. when they shoot with the drone. It's it, like I said, it's for like lower budget films where they. Or maybe maybe it's like they're using a drone that maneuvers in such a fashion where they could only put like a, an inconsistent lens on there or something. But it always like takes me out of it for a second where it's like, oh, it's a drone shot. <laughs> it's <just> like <laughs> interesting. But um, yeah, they land on the beach and uh, Jack takes a bunch of photos of Dwan and uh, and of, of Charles Grodin doing the the, uh, the big big man on campus walk as he steps off the boat. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, not a whole lot happens. That, that's like going to be a thing that we say probably every pretty, five minutes in this discussion. Pretty much moving forward, not a lot's going to happen. Or it takes a long time for something to happen. Um, we uh, have to get to the natives because that's it has to happen in a King Kong movie. We have to have the natives. Um, we The suits that they're wearing are really creepy. Uh, the one like... They only, oh, the ghost sheet yeah, ones? Yeah, the ghost sheet ones are scary. Um, yes, yeah, they look cool. Yeah, uh, we're about to sacrifice our young woman to uh, King Kong, obviously, and we have the, the you know the dance going on. We have a the witch doctor pelvic thrusting like crazy, uh, which I was like, wow, that's that's a lot of pelvic thrusting. Like, okay, um, this is kind of funny. Like in the middle of his pelvic thrusting, he's just like dancing around. And he just like wait, does like a triple take almost. <laughs> <laughs> I might have pulled off the uh, uh, Patrick Stewart quadruple take. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen that. <laughs> I have seen that. Uh, Kyle, you did send that to me at one point. Really, it's beautiful. It's really good. Uh, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a quadruple take. But he stops him dead in his tracks, and they're like, wait a minute, he's stopping. And then he just like starts pointing. I love Charles going like, oh, shit. Like, <laughs> he spotted us. Um, and immediately, like, uh, they come up the hill and, like, all right, you know, if they try to run at us, you know, shoot shoot the guns in the air. Uh, and they, he comes up and he just starts yelling at them, the guy. And uh, they're like, what does he want? And he, like, kind of waves down to the village and, like, six ladies come up. And, like, immediately it's like, we want to trade. We want to trade the, the ladies for that. Uh, they're not having it, obviously, and uh, they end up getting out of the situation. I think they just start shooting in the air, and they run away back to the ship. Yeah, um, <clears throat> well, we'll get to it in just a second, but a couple of details I feel are worth pointing out. Um, before we get to the natives, we encounter the wall, um, the iconic King oh, Kong yeah. wall. This is what I have. <clears> which the, uh, I have the note: uh, God, it must suck to be this wrong all the time uh, for Charles Grodin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, there's a running gag in the movie where Charles Grodin makes a lot of loud, boisterous statements that are blatantly false, and Jeff Bridges is always there to just tear him right the fuck down. And he <laughs> handles it really well. Charles Grodin. He does. He takes it so well. Yeah. <laughs> he must be really. He must be really, he must really to used that. to that. I mean, he said he's a married man. I'm sure in that household. This yeah. is kind of the dynamic. <laughs> yeah, I'm in a long-term relationship. I've been wrong a lot. Uh, so at this point, it's just kind of like, what am I going to be wrong about today? I'm not going to worry about it. I'm just going to let it happen. <laughs> uh, yeah, correction. You've been wrong a lot, and you've been made aware of it. 
Uh, but yeah, you can tell he he takes it in stride in such a way that's like, yeah, this 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 is this man's life, yes. <laughs> and it doesn't help that he's a short guy with a big ego. It kind of the math adds up, put mm-hmm. it that way. Um, but yeah, uh, we get a very solid uh, matte painting of of the giant wall, uh, very similar to the original King Kong. Um, and Jeff Bridges points out that uh, oh well, there's our evidence of civilization. And also, uh, it looks like it's been repaired recently. So, uh, Charles Grodin, your theories of there not being people here, very wrong. Yeah. Um, but I also like that Charles Grodin's like very insistent. And then he's like, no, there's totally no people here. This is an ancient wall. And then we hear drums. And it's like, well, shit. <laughs> but, um, yeah, other detail. Um, it's a small thing, but it's something that I, I started to notice just in this watching of the film is that the lighting in this movie is grossly inconsistent um in particular there's a lot of like bounce board lighting where you can tell that uh, we're filming outdoors we're probably filming in a location that maybe it's difficult to like run like maybe it's difficult to get equipment there or something um but during the scene where they're watching the villagers and stuff we have jeff bridges observing and and jessica lang's beside him and we just see this like jittery light on both of their faces that's like it's like you're it's like you're like reflecting light off of a mirror mm-hmm. and your your hand's not steady or something or it's windy so it, outside or it's windy outside or something so your light source isn't stable and it it, it looks really messy and and shitty <laughs> and when you have two really good looking people on camera that are being made to not look as good because of lighting there is a serious problem Especially when this movie is as horny as it is, and that's mm-hmm. basically all you get in terms of an entertainment value. Um, but yeah, uh, how would you rank this uh, of the King Kong movies we've watched so far? Um, in terms of like uh, native interactions, like in terms of like successful versus <laughs> not so successful interactions, or like collisions of of like the civilized world versus Skull Island natives, how would you rank this? I. Uh... I think this might we don't spend a lot of time with the natives and I think that's the plus I'm like I think this is probably the best just because of that it's like we're not spending a ton of time here yeah um I I want to say this was the most hostile interaction that it we've was, had yeah. of all the movies because um, in King Kong versus Godzilla you know we cleared things up with a radio no shots were fired um, the original 1933 one it was hostile for sure but we talked a lot and then yeah. we just left in this one though. We have to like shoot into the air and run. Like yeah. you can't walk off skull Island. You got to run. So well, this is an example of it not doing it right, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, Kyle, uh, I don't know if you took note of this, but we get back to the ship and like all the, like Charles Grodin and his gang of fools, they're all trying to figure out a way to basically rob the islanders of their oil, which is something that we the, observed. Yeah. Yeah, uh, there were pools of like black viscous liquid um, in in the village. So uh, Charles Grodin thinks he has what he needs there. I've so abandoned my it. child. Yeah, <laughs> I've abandoned my boy. I've abandoned my boy. <laughs> I've abandoned my child. <laughs> um, that's a very watchable movie, um, it, despite it, being very long and very very heavy. Uh, it, it's somehow very watchable. It's after you get done watching No Country for Old Men, you're like, now I want to watch There Will Be Blood because it's it's just right there. Yeah, I, I actually I could see that working out. I haven't tried it myself, 
but I'm, I'm due for a rewatch of probably both of those, especially No Country. I did No Country. I think I'm going to do There Will Be Blood pretty soon. Or I'm going to finally get around to Phantom Thread. Who knows? I mean, if if you're up for trying something new, I, I would I would recommend You know it. I am. Oh, uh, anyway. That's, you, that's the name of the show. But uh, I just wanted to point out, like, I don't know if you took note of this at all, but uh, Jessica Lang smoking. Uh, did this did this jump out at you at all? Uh, it did because uh, she lights a match and she like really holds it for a long time, and I'm like, it's gonna burn her finger. Like, you need to light that match. Uh, her technique, I didn't really pay attention to. Yeah, I I, th- I, I think she has like kind of like metropolitan way where it's like, are you smoking or are you just holding it? <laughs> she <laughs> definitely smokes in uh, Cape Fear, so it is possible she might be a smoker. I'm not sure. I mean, it was the 70s. I'm pretty everybody sure most smokes. people smoked. Everybody smoked. <laughs> yeah, everybody. And you can smoke everywhere. <laughs> I uh, just thought it was interesting because Kyle, like if you're not aware of this, listeners, um, Kyle has a thing about smoking in movies. That it's something that catches his eye. It's yeah. something that sometimes compels his own actions in his daily life, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> depending on how 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 good the technique is, Let's just put it this or way. how 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 uh, sumptuous the visuals are. Pe- Peaky Blinders, they're smoking and drinking the whole time. I have cigars now. I have little cigars now. So, <laughs> well, there you very go. impressed. <laughs> um, there is something I want to point out uh, from here. Where, yeah, so Groden is wanting to get the oil, basically, uh, and uh, Jeff Bridges is still con- convinced that that wall is to keep out something, and he thinks it's a big, uh, some kind of big animal that's undiscovered. And uh, he has uh, he has a line. He says, "Even you, an eco rapist, wouldn't destroy an undiscovered animal." And I'm like, "Dude, Charles Gordon is a, Charles Groden is a white dude in the '70s with a mustache. He will destroy anything to be rich. Anything. He will do anything in his power to be rich." <laughs> yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, I mean. It- Disney movies and such taught me that lesson in the 90s when things were a little bit more sanitized and cleaned up for like family consumption and stuff. But you you better believe in the 70s they were they were ready to go like just getting down and dirty with this business. <laughs> um, but yeah, basically she goes out smoking. She we have some lovey dovey talk between her and Jeff Bridges, uh, and then similar to the 1933 Kong, uh, she is abducted by so, the villagers. I- I had a problem with this. So, yeah, his plan is like, yeah, I'm just taking their supplies and I'm just going to steal their boat and I'm just going to get away. I'm like, well, where the fuck are you going to go? Like, you're, you're, don't go to the hostile island. Like, you're going to be stuck there. <laughs> I'm like, it's not going to go well. I'm like, what's your plan? Are you going to go to the island and find the find the animal first and come back? I'm like, I just didn't understand what his plan was. He says he's going into the island interior. Uh, to do investigating or something, I was like, "Okay, that doesn't sound particular." Yeah, that doesn't sound safe to me. But okay, a lot of risks with that. But okay. Well, I I started to like theorize about his character. That's like, are they doing a thing where it's like he he just doesn't like people very much? Like part of the reason he he's in the field work, he's in the type of work that he is, is that he's not particularly fond of the modern world and the people in it. I think he's particularly not fond of this person in particular and oil companies in general. So yeah, I think that he's not for exploiting um, this island for that. Yeah, uh, he's he's a little bit preachy in this movie, <laughs> uh, just a little bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she's abducted very much uh, similar to the original King Kong. Um, but yeah, Jack was intending to steal a boat in the middle of the night to head off to the island himself because he he knows that the 
Petrox, people are just going to go there and probably shoot everybody. Yeah. Like, it's oh, that's exactly. words here. Just yeah. mow them down like Rambo. That's exactly what they're going to do. I mean, they, they use the phrase fireworks show for the plan as to how to remove the, the villagers from the equation. Um, I don't think all those bullets are going up into the air. Have you seen Joe? Like, Joe Joe is itching for an opportunity uh, to start some yeah. shit. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, uh, they, they take her to the island. And, uh, oh, by the way, uh, our chemist has pointed out that, um, hey, Fred, you shouldn't radio the company that you, you hit the big one just yet because we don't even know if that's oil yet. Yeah. Um, but Charles Grodin gets uh, a little ahead of himself and sends them like a telegram or something saying, hey, I hit the big one. Uh, roll out the red carpets when I get home. It's like, uh, okay, now you've created expectations. That's pro- probably not a good idea. Um but we get like a, a very extended, like probably like eight minute sequence of just Dwan uh, being, yeah, Why? drugged and carried off to the, the the pillars or whatever. I get like you're kind of matching the sequence from the original, but you all you have to do is knock her out, have her passed out in the chains, have her come to and start screaming. You don't have to have her swaying. It's eight minutes of her just swaying back and forth, like oh gosh, I'm so out of it. Stupid. Yeah, it goes on and on and on. Um, it's curious because there are some impressive elements here. I mean, it's this was the '70s, um, so there was there was a particular era of film that we've since moved away from, where the way you showed your budget, the way you showed how much resources you had behind your production, was putting bodies and and giant sets on the screen and shooting them in his like super duper widescreen and stuff okay so i might have been reading into this too much because of the sexual nature because we get the dude pelvic thrusting like crazy again um uh, locking the gate now was this a flex i have this in like is this a flex or is this kind of sexual at the same time uh this is we are really really focusing in on the insertion of locking this gate and i'm like i don't know it felt so odd to me well i mean as as we often say nothing isn't a film by accident yes uh, this is a tremendously horny film yes um also uh it needs to be said the towering inferno same director also a massively horny film <laughs> i mean for fuck's sake you got robert wagner in the cast he's he's banging everything behind the scenes <laughs> i'm gonna make a gross generalist uh, not a gross generalization uh no this may sound racist uh but um in the godfather i don't know if you remember the wedding the wedding sequence in the beginning they have that old man come up and sing a song and i always wondered what he was singing but the song he was singing was basically if you're gonna marry a guy you're going to, I guess, do what he wants or whatever. It's like, if you marry a butcher, you're going to take his meat. Like, it's it's like a big innuendo song. And they're all, like, laughing because it's an old man singing this stuff. And I guess it was, like, a traditional, like, uh, Italian song. Having an Italian producer at the helm of this, <laughs> that's why I was like, uh. You know, more than likely be open to some ideas that mainstream Hollywood producers probably would shy away from. I'm just picturing coppola watching is like this is grotesque like <laughs> i can't believe he would put something like this in this movie well i mean kyle normally this wouldn't happen I'm, I'm not actually very big on like innuendo when it comes to my personal sense of humor um but i will back you on this because they the the the, the gate like the the latch for the for the big doors 
they they lube lubed it. it up. That's what. Yes, I didn't even want to say it. <laughs> I was just trying no, to. Say. I, I, I'm, I, you know, I I have to call it as I sees it. Yeah. And yes, they they lube the the shaft <laughs> as they're as they're putting it through the rings. I, I'm, I'm, saying, I'm I'm not trying to be vulgar here. I'm like, this is a legit question. I'm like, this just seems like a weird. No, shot I, I think here. I think you're right, Kyle. Man, uh, nothing's in a film by accident, and you know the the math adds up. <laughs> you I don't mean, have to be a genius. Because like you were saying with flexing, I'm like, this doesn't really seem like that big of a flex. You know, like it doesn't really seem like that big a deal. The actual wall that you built is the flex. I mean, that this could be an extension of that but anyway sorry anyway anyway <laughs> well now now you've got me thinking about all the times in which the door is opened and unlocked it's, so we have this when we're locking it and we lube it up for that but then later on it gets pulled like oh. halfway out but then it gets put back yeah. and then it gets sick <laughs> it gets insane <laughs> back to back like it gets it gets like closed and then halfway pulled out, and then closed again. All right, I think we're gonna go with yeah. I think we're doing yeah. Something I, I, just here. like take all the bullshit we just said and just say yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, they they drug her and they tie her to the thing, much like they did in 1933. Although I seem to remember the drugging not really being as explicit. Like in this one, they actually have yeah. like a bowl of some stuff, some white fluid yeah, <laughs> that she is drugged with. Yep. And your windows aren't your sense of humor. Mike Myers is like a pillar of our <laughs> pillar of our cinematic cornerstone. I mean, it. I. It's not that I don't laugh at it. It's just I don't make those jokes. Yeah, generally. yeah. Because I'm a the guy, like adult. like we've said. Yeah, like like we said before. Like I I have the tool set, I, but it it makes me a stronger person to not use it. It's like yeah. being Superman, where it's like I could I could smash the world. But I'm not gonna, because yeah. I'm Superman. <laughs> uh, we get our King Kong entrance, by the way. I yeah, over 50 minutes in. 50 minutes in, but I will tell you, it was worth it. This was probably the best King Kong entrance we've had so far. Yeah, uh, it's exactly as you said you wanted from the 1933 one, where we get like bits and pieces of him in, in gradual reveal, where it's like we hear crashing, we see the trees coming down from his perspective, we see his eyes... Just like pieces of yeah, and then he gets in front of her, and we have this really cool reveal where when he finally gets up to her, uh, she's got her head down, and then she looks up and up and up and up and up, and then she lets out her scream, which, uh, being in a King Kong movie as the leading lady, I'm sure you you got to do that as part of your audition. Although not if Dino De Laurentiis is involved, he probably just looks at a picture in a magazine that you shot five years ago and says i want that one <laughs> you know who has an amazing scream in a movie and i'm wondering if she had to do it in the audition was uh maid marion and robin hood prince of thieves the the kevin costner one because robin makes his entrance at the king's wedding and she goes robin! like just screams really loud I'm like that was a fucking excellent scream jesus i'll yeah, find I, the clip I, don't worry i've had to I've had to rewatch that one for a while now. Yeah. I've never liked that movie, but the marketing hype train for it was so big that it's like burned into my memory as something that I should like, but I just don't. I do just because it was one that we grew up. It was Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and then we go straight into Terminator 2. So just uh, for the double feature for the day, excellent. Well, and I'm sure Three Musketeers probably is a branch off from that somehow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we did that one a long time ago. Yeah, uh, very good episode. One of our, one of my favorites, honestly. Yeah, go uh, back and I check it out. Remember, 
yeah, it's shocking that I can remember it because it was long enough ago. But anyway, uh, yeah, uh, we get introduced to the King Kong in this film over 50 minutes in, which is about 10 minutes, maybe eight minutes later than has been the case in all the other films we've covered. Um, and this is where we discover the type of technology that we're using to render the big gorilla this time around. So 1933, stop motion animation. 1962, King Kong versus Godzilla, Suitmation. In 1976, we're back to Suitmation. However, we have a highly articulated animatronic head mm-hmm. on the on the gorilla suit, and also the gorilla suit is far more detailed, and the proportions in particular are much more realistic. Like the general yeah. bulk and like musculature of, of the build for the gorilla is Rick Baker? much more accurate. Rick Baker and Carlo Rombaldi. Uh, it was a there were multiple people who did the uh, the suitmation effects and the animatronics. Um, I, I don't know who who is attributed to doing what. However, all of them are critically acclaimed, and all of them are an instant like an institution within Hollywood. Their their contribution has been massive. From what I read on IMDb, uh, it looked. I think that they were there were two makeup art, like two of the guys. Like you come up with the suit, you come up with the suit. Whoever has the better suit wins. And Rick Baker won. Uh, so he was the only one in the suit, but as far as the animatronics go, I'm not entirely sure. I think I've heard Rick Baker in an interview say that Rambaldi, he, he like credited Rambaldi with doing some of the facial animatronics. Mm. Uh, so I don't know if that means he was the puppeteer or if he built the damn thing, but yes, Rick Baker is generally the person wearing the suit in this film. And, uh, so those are his eyes. However, they're wearing, he's wearing, uh, He's wearing contact lenses that make his irises bigger, which actually look pretty good. They look fairly convincing. I was hard. I was a little harsh on this because I went from the King Kong thirty three to watching a clip from this movie. I'm like, oh my gosh, that looks ridiculous. But uh, actually watching it, I'm like, it actually looks pretty good. The problem I have with it is he spent no time studying uh, gorilla movements or any kind of uh, like what a primate would do. He just it's a dude walking. Yeah, uh, the way I described it was it's the Chris Farley, do you know where the weight room yeah, is, you know walk? Where where, yeah. He just kind of throws his shoulders back and like walks like his hips are five feet wide. Yeah. <laughs> uh, presumably to make room for a gigantic dong. You know who actually <laughs> would have probably done a really good job? Uh, your boy that does Godzilla. Is he kind of bow-legged? Like his, his stance? Oh, Haruo Nakajima? The yeah. guy who wore the suit? Yeah, the guy who wore um, the suit. I think he was. Uh, a, yeah, he he is bow legged. Um, I think he's that, pretty. He's pretty short. small. Yeah. And in uh, 1976, uh, I think he was done. Honestly, th- uh, because the Godzilla series, the Showa era, wrapped in 1975, and I think that was his last involvement with the Godzilla series. I think he would have done a good job because I think his build would have fit better for the for the suit. I don't know if his movements. Like <laughs> I think he would have at least studied the movements a little bit well kyle not to completely derail us yeah. too late uh, <laughs> we've already been talking about cocks and <laughs> i was i and, was uh, go- and uh peaky blinders and everything in between <laughs> i'm basing this on his body type um i would have to disagree because having watched so many of the, the guy's films um he has he has a particular way of moving that's too dynamic um, yeah, he has too much charisma in the way he moves. Mm. Where it's he's not like an Andy Circus where he'll spend like years of his life just fucking hanging out at a zoo. 
and perfecting the art of moving like a fucking gorilla. Nakajima like had I think some form of martial arts background because that that man can ukemi to like till the ends of the earth. Uh, that's like a a defensive roll kind of. Mm. So like rolling with the momentum. Like if you get kicked over or like yeah. tossed or something, you just like roll with it. Parkour. Yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> parkour. parkour. <laughs> um, like when you go over the, the, the back of a couch or something, you have yeah. to yell that out. But <laughs> it's a rule. But his his style of movement is very, it's very theatrical. Um, it doesn't remind you of like an animal's movement. It's it's too showy, I guess. He, he, was, he probably could have been a bang up pro wrestler, <laughs> um, but he found a different calling. But um what I was saying about derailing things, though, was I was just curious. Um, what what do you have a preference in how your King Kong should move? Because in the 1930s, he they made some attempts to have him move kind of like a gorilla. But as as we said on that episode, Willis O'Brien also had a background in boxing, and uh, some of the choreography of some of those dinosaur fights, you can kind of see it. There's some like clinching and like closed fist punches that kind of look similar to grappling of some sort but well, um 1962 king kong uh we have you know it's godzilla style suitmation so it has that kind of dynamic uh theatrical quality to the way he's moving this one he's upright he, his knuckles never once really touch the ground peter jackson in the 2000s that's all it is he's andy circus is just a gorilla in that movie yeah like like his his proportions the way he he moves like a gorilla. He's just doing a gorilla impression. And then we get to Skull Island, and he's a biped again. He's he's upright with his shoulders back, with his chest puffed out. He's not doing a gorilla impression anymore. Do you have a preference, you think? I need uh, a balance because gorillas do uh, do walk on all fours, but they can also walk on their hind legs. It's not for very long, generally, but they do. And uh, that little bit of a balance, I think the... <laughs> <laughs> it's the it's the suit itself, and that's why I mentioned your your boy, who's the the Godzilla guy, is because somebody who's short, with bow legs, I think would have been right for this. Uh, not, I don't know how big Rick Baker is. I'm assuming he's a you know average sized dude. Uh, uh, it's it's irrelevant when you're wearing a big suit like this. But the thing with Gorilla is that the the torso is very big. Like they have a very big torso, and the legs are not in proportion with the upper body so you often have like a bubble gut too yeah yeah that's the i mean not so much the gut i think just uh having somewhat having it look a bit more in the body like a gorilla and having it move a little bit more like a gorilla would have helped with this because i think that the actual face itself is pretty good the face is the most impressive part of it yeah. uh the and it it's really pivotal to this film because like we've kind of basically said it a few times now like this movie isn't terribly entertaining but uh the way it's structured it's more of a romance than a than an action film and the romance wouldn't work even one percent if he couldn't emote and he certainly can which is very impressive for 1976 and i I think now jurassic park's coming into mind it's like uh, part of the way that the reason that movie works is working with limitations and i think maybe with this film the novelty of it was what they had to focus on and because there was only so much you could do with uh, what they had. Yeah, there's a little bit of a uh, Octoman dilemma. I brought that up before where Octoman, I think Rick Baker worked on o- Octoman. <laughs> I think he did. I think it was like one of his first movies. I, 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 I haven't looked it up, but I'm almost positive. That's like, that's a production note, but um, 
the Octoman dilemma is where you have a monster in your movie and you fuck it all up by having the monster like in daylight for 80% of the movie just like walking around just do it like doing mundane things like drinking a soda and like flipping <laughs> tables and stuff. it's like okay now how can I be scared of something when it has no mystery to it like there's no tech there's no technique in the lighting and instead of like popping up every once in a while it's just there all the time <laughs> um this movie kind of has that problem where like the mystery of kong is once he's once he shows up uh they they're pretty brazen about just like having him on camera like big as life and twice as ugly all the time it was rick baker it was him in that movie uh and <laughs> funny enough uh he worked on the tim burton planet of the apes where there Absolutely. is yeah. excellent yeah. ape uh tim roth uh crushes it as the uh as the bad ape in that movie yeah he absolutely he does um that's actually one of the performances that kind of made me really love him because i it he's like the only person in that whole cast where it's like that was him yeah like never in a million years would i have expected that that movie but, sucks ass but him him in that role is awesome yeah yeah no i i agree wholeheartedly but yeah rick baker's always had a fascination with gorillas in particular not just apes um but early early in his career like in the 70s um american werewolf in london was one of his most famous productions um but yeah all throughout his entire career gorillas it always seems to come back to that <laughs> well he worked on schlock which came out like three years before which is about That's a guy the john landis movie right <laughs> it's a guy yeah. in a monkey suit yeah yeah, yeah john he, landis yeah yeah i'm pretty sure he wore the monkey suit wouldn't even be I would not be surprised at all if uh trading places or whatever <laughs> like that was him too. Uh I believe it was who was in that suit? Oh, Vern. <laughs> they put it? they put uh Vern. They put uh uh who is oh, Die Hard. What's the listen to me you little asshole. What's oh, Dwayne. Dwayne. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the dude who gets cornholed by the <laughs> by the guy. Oh the no, Dwayne. <laughs> Anyway, uh, tangent aside, um, King Kong, uh, it's his entrance is great, but it's really funny, actually, because he, he comes in, and actually the, the shot from his perspective of walking up to Dwan when he's, like, knocking down the trees and stuff, the lighting here is bizarre, because it's like he has headlights for eyes, because, like, the tree line is, like, lit the fuck up, and you can see, like, the light sources, like, jittering around. It looks very reminiscent of one of the very first shots if not the first shot of jurassic park mm -hmm. uh, when the container is crashing through the branches yeah looks very similar to that but um after he gets up to her he roars he beats his chest because that's what a giant gorilla does and then he just pauses and he picks her up and he and he just walks away and there's no music here there's no sound other than her screaming and him growling he just like yoink yeah. <laughs> and he just turns around and all the villagers go yeah <laughs> yeah he but, yeah say so he runs off with her and uh the cavalry comes in they shoot the guns the flares and we uh get some in out in out uh with the a <laughs> uh, little Little. Hey, push it back in, man. It's like, it's like why? It's like, I don't know. Just do it, man. Just do it. It feels better. Um, yeah, they, they, they get rid of everybody. They get to the other side, and I love this line. Uh, who do you think uh, went through there? A guy in an ape suit? And I'm like, that's exactly who went through there. His name is Rick Baker. He just went through there. And His name is Rick. He's over in craft services. Hopefully not wearing the very expensive gorilla suit right now. Um, 
but yeah, Charles Grodin falls into one of the footprints, and mm. so we, without having actually seen the damn thing, now all the sailors and Jack uh, are aware that there is some sort of creature that has her, uh, that has a footprint like six feet long. Uh, that's a problem. Um, but yeah, uh, very similar to the 1930s film. Uh, Jack takes a, a party with a bunch of armed sailors and stuff with him to traipse through the jungle to try to recover the lady. Um, they don't find anything because it's that kind of movie. Uh, so <laughs> so we get to nighttime and uh, they have to set up camp, which I want to say is maybe like a a sign that there was there's a problem with the pacing of your monster movie. That you have the search party run off into the into the night with guns and stuff, and they're like their blood's pumping, they're like they're like going, and then it's like we didn't find anything, man. I guess we got to take a nap. <laughs> it's like, hang on, what? <laughs> well, it's like you're you're hinting at a major action scene, and then it ends with people pitching tents. I think I have some theories of why this is a problem. One, the original had uh, dinosaurs, which they did not have the time. I would say you've got your main you got your main makeup artist as the as the actual uh, King Kong. So who's working on it? He's He's doing this now, so you don't really have anybody else to work on it. I don't think they had. Uh, I don't think they went. I, you know, they could have done some stop motion, but you would have to have stop motion against a guy in a suit. So I just think it was a like maybe a budget, and they just didn't have the time to do yeah, any of the fun time, stuff. Time would be my suspicion. Although, um, even as a child, actually, I I theorized that uh, they they were averse to putting dinosaurs in it because they would think it would be too silly. Which, if you fast forward to like the 90s or the 2010s, you're crazy. Put all the dinosaurs in it. But in the 70s, for some reason, I planted this idea in my head that's like, I think they were scared of putting dinosaurs in it because that's what B-movies did. Mm -hmm. And this movie's trying trying to not be that, even though it's derived from that. Um, you can tell by like the seriousness of like the soundtrack and, and just the just the general structure of the movie it's not an action movie that's that's the main thing uh, it's trying to be greater than what it actually is um, and i think they thought it would be hokey to put dinosaurs in there although they do put a random fucking snake in there uh, that raises all sorts of questions but is dead before he can even get to asking them i think it's the snake <laughs> from conan the barbarian yeah except it's like 10 times bigger yeah <laughs> um but yeah uh, then we we get a really important scene here and this is an interesting scene because it's there's no dialogue for a while anyway um but it's dwan waking up in a bed of leaves and uh king kong's just like he's staring popping a squat he, he, yeah he's just kind of like staring at her <laughs> like he's squatting and looking down at her um and we get like a really mixed bag when it comes to the lighting here like the jungle set behind her looks like absolute trash like this looks like star trek the next generation like oh season one God. kind of shit dude I, it's so hard <laughs> I, i've told so you before bad. man it might it may be a good idea to skip to the next one because okay. it, it does get better do it i need to see better. the first season for the rest of the series to make sense i know who the uh, ferengi are so that's good there i mean there's there's like there's some character stuff where there's a character who uh, gets axed from the first season, but comes back in later seasons. Who it, it would be nice to know how they made how they met their end, um, but they come back enough, and it is you know weekly. It's a monster of the week series. Like the 
the storylines built it's not like netflix shit where like everything bleeds into the next yeah. it's like no it's like episodic television so it's designed for you to just like plop down after oh, work man. put it on and kind of pay attention to it Those and are the get good old days. It. <laughs> it's like baseball in tv in like tv show form <laughs> gotcha okay um anyway yeah, so. so you'll you'll be fine you'll be fine okay. but yeah uh, the jungle set behind you looks like trash um, and there are some wonderful shots of Kong's face, um, but then there's also some of the worst shots of Kong's face. Yeah. And it's like really inconsistent lighting. In particular, the, the best shot, I think, in the whole movie of his face is when he slams his fist down next to her, and he's like kind of baring his teeth, and he looks real pissed. Mm-hmm. And the lighting is just so that one of those uh, contacts, one of those brown contacts he has on, is catching the light, and it like there's a weird reflection in there that makes him look particularly aggressive but then there's these other shots where it's just like was the lighting guy on break what the fuck are we doing guys <laughs> was was dino out of the country somebody somebody didn't do their job but, uh i think you know. dino was on set for this part <laughs> yeah uh and it's no surprise why yeah. um so this is this uh sequence is where kong uh is kind of poking her with his his giant uh mechanical arm i think the mechanical arm prop is pretty good it is the good. full the full mechanical kong is trash the yeah arm is good do you think this is better than what they did uh, uh in the 1933 one because that was one that you and i both thought was amazing was what they did pick picking the clothes off is more impressive than this than virtually anything in this movie honestly except i mean obviously the the technical advancements like the facial animatronics and stuff but just the the matting like the the precision required to get that right in 1933 is astounding yeah and this you have some cool things where like you have her in the the giant mechanical hand and then the camera like pulls up to kong's face so it looks like he's holding Mm -hmm. her up to him those are those are cool and stuff except we've seen that trick done many many other times in other movies um so nothing nothing like truly astounding but in 1976 i'm sure it was still impressive but uh yeah he's poking her around and uh he picks her up at one point and uh she's finally she's yeah she does get pretty muddy because he's like he's nudging her and yeah. stuff he's 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 treating her like she's not a living thing or, mm. or she's like a plaything or something and uh this was drawn out quite a bit more in the peter jackson version where uh, it's drawn out more it's a Peter Jackson Jesus. movie, Kyle. Of course it is. But Naomi Watts does like a, a vaudeville show. Like she dances for him. And uh, she does like a pratfall. And Kong thinks it's funny. So he like laughs at it. And he like, uh, she uses like a stick as a cane. And he keeps like flicking it out from under her. But she actually starts hurting herself. And then she like shouts at him. And he's like, oh, it talks. <laughs> like, like, it's actually kind of a cool moment. But in this one... Uh, he picks her up and he holds her up to his face and it needs to be said his face often looks very hostile like mm-hmm. he's doing a lot of growling and she does like try to run away at one point um but the the really interesting scene here is when he's holding her up to his face uh she's like screaming at him and at one point she's like hitting him on the lips because she thinks he's gonna eat he's gonna eat her um and this sequence i actually thought was impressive from an acting standpoint because remember first time actress and she's being asked to play an entire scene to nobody. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just her delivering all these lines and going through all these different emotional dips and valleys. Um, 
on her own. And, you know, this was in the 70s when we weren't making Star Wars prequels where that was the norm, where it's like, oh, you mm. mean they'll they'll put in the guy I'm talking to later? Okay, it's, it's a blue screen movie? Blue screen movie, got it. <laughs> Imagination, that's my best friend. Um, but, yeah, I, I thought it was kind of neat. Um, but anyway, somehow she kind of, like, wins him over a bit, I guess, because she's uh, violent. <laughs> and she even... she. She basically like hits him on the lips a bunch and like I uh, is just thinking a mile a minute and just kind of having like word diarrhea, <laughs> like just throwing anything that she can think of at him and hoping for the best. Um, and yeah, he doesn't end up killing her, but he does like smash his fist down next to her when she tries to run away after he sets her down. Um, so it's like the element of danger is there's like a push and pull to it. Where it's like you think it's all gonna be okay, but then he's an unpredictable animal. We're not sure. Uh, but long story short, the sequence ends seemingly with them being okay with each other on some level. It's very strange. <laughs> yeah, doesn't she gets all muddy and he puts her underneath the waterfall? And... Yeah, that that's my pick for the most embarrassing sequence in the whole movie. I don't know what the point is. Uh, he he puts her underneath the waterfall. She gets all wet at. Looks like she's almost being waterboarded when this was being filmed. <laughs> uh, and then he throws her into the pool so she can swim a little bit. And I don't know what to make of this. Uh, it's a nice set. Like, it's a really impressive set. It's okay. I, th- I, <laughs> I like the set. The uh, texture on the rocks looks a little Land of the Losty. It's, I mean, <laughs> 1976. What are you going to do? Mean, if you look on the other side of that rock face, you'll find Olmec. <laughs> is what I'm trying to get at. Uh, it's okay, but yeah, this sequence gets my vote for the most embarrassing in the whole movie because this is where he bathes her. We have the sweeping John Barry romantic score. I mean, for fuck's sake, the man did James Bond movies. He knows how to, you know, make music that makes people's pants come off. Um, and uh, the worst part though is um, Kong blows on her to dry her. Oh yeah, um, I forgot about that. And this is impressive from an animatronic standpoint because they had to figure out the logistics of, of making his cheeks pop, puff out like that and his like lips purse in such a way. I'm sure those nerds had a had a grand old time doing that. Yeah. Uh, but we, the audience, are like, what the what fuck am watching? I watching? Yeah. And to make matters worse, every every time Rick Baker smiles in this ape suit, it's terrifying. <laughs> in fact, Kyle, every every promotional still. I like every photo I use to promote this episode is going to is going to be a different angle of Rick Baker smiling in the cross nice. <laughs> cuz it's it's terrifying especially when you see him through the window towards the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, anyway, expedition to find her is not going so hot. Uh along the way we're like planting seismic charges. Actually, interesting callback to uh well, call forward to Kong Skull Island mm-hmm. where that was that was supposed to be the mission at skull at uh, skull island where they're like dropping seismic charges to map the island uh we're doing the same thing here but we're trying to look for oil um but back on the beach this is where charles groden discovers from his chemist buddy that uh i, I think you said you enjoyed this reaction do you want to share yeah. what happens here kyle because this is i mean because this is 20 minutes of bullshit leading up to this but uh yeah so uh, they're on the beach uh, just kind of camped out, uh, having some drinks, and his uh, his chemist buddy comes up, and he's like, well, I have some news. He's like, 
You definitely have got, uh, you've got oil. You've definitely got oil. He's like, ah, oh, super excited and stuff. And he's got a, a little pint of Jack Daniels. And he's like, yeah, uh, it'll totally be usable in another 10,000 years. <laughs> and he just starts laughing. And I'm like, yeah, I would be, I would be chuckling at this too. Uh, all this work to get all the way there. And you were dead fucking wrong. And on top of it, you told the company that you struck gold. Uh, yeah it's pretty funny <laughs> yeah uh your delivery just there kyle in about ten thousand years yeah he's a professor of being a dog <laughs> do you know that one uh cabin fever <laughs> oh um, yes, yes, yes yes of being a dog is that when eli roth is at the campfire yep dr oh. bongo and eli roth yeah <laughs> <laughs> soul patch. I don't know why I thought of that just now, but yeah, um, Charles Grodin is a little upset, uh, but he uh, has a light bulb moment almost immediately because he yeah. hops on the radio and he calls in a airdrop from the Petrox company. So he he's got a plan, and we, the audience, having seen a few King Kong movies, are pretty sure we know what that plan is. Yeah. Um, but meanwhile, we get a scene that in the 1933 Kong and basically every king kong movie except for maybe the godzilla ones um, yeah this is like one of the show-stopping sequences this is one of the most iconic images in you know the king kong history and it's fucking terrible <laughs> the set is hideous i like the matte paintings i hate the matte paintings. Like paintings no i like that i think they look like shit they look like shit but i'm glad they're there like it does not match the rest of the film at all it's like a completely different movie taking place there's they, they look like out of fucking masters of the universe yeah. like where's he-man where's frank langella oh, no. the matte paintings don't always have to be immaculate for me to enjoy them they just have to be there and be entertaining to look at i like them in I'm, this I'm not even talking about just the matte paintings. I mean set. the set and the matte paintings yeah. and the framing. The cinematography shit here too. Yeah. Because I don't know I don't know if you can pull this up right now, but the framing, for some reason, like I don't know, maybe the matte painting, like maybe some maybe some guy fucked up and made them too short or something. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I know exactly. But it's like I, I I'm just like I my eyes and my brain are just like can can you just like raise the cam camera mm -hmm. or tilt it up just loop it? Like Jeff Bridges' head is almost cut off. Yeah, I don't think they had enough space for that. I know exactly what shot you're talking about. It, it's every shot in the sequence. <laughs> <laughs> it's the whole five minutes. The sequence is terrible. I hate it. Yeah, no, it, it's not very good. Um, no, it's fucking terrible. I think it the looks like the, ass. I think the, the log flip is the worst part of this. And the hand grabbing around the uh, hand grabbing over the side. Like, yeah, it, it's really not good. It's a very lackadaisical, like, it's he's not even flipping the log. He's just kind of, like, slightly jostling it. And then these guys have a, the exact same death over and over and over again. It's not nearly as gruesome or memorable as the original or the Peter Jackson one, where we actually get to see these fucking dolls bounce off the cliff face and scream all the way down, only to immediately stop when they hit. Put that was brutal shit. Put Lou Ferrigno in the suit and just let him hulk this shit out. Just like really fuck up this log. Well, Kyle, you just you just came up with a, a movie idea: Hulk versus King Kong. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, don't I mean, don't say that out. God damn it, Trevor. Well, that, that I mean, could happen. Let let me let me just put this to rest. It wouldn't be a good fight because Hulk would win. Obviously, yeah. Yeah, easily. So it wouldn't be a very good fight, but just not not the Hulk, but. 
can I just have a, a green Lou Ferrigno? I prefer Lou the Lou size of King Kong. Like he puts on a growth belt and just goes, yeah. <laughs> and, then he, and then they have a fist fight in the jungle. That's all they need is Lou Ferrigno beating the fuck out of a, a guy in a gorilla suit. <laughs> um, I have in my notes undressing a fucking snake. Uh, was she ta- <laughs> was she taking her clothes off when the snake came up? Uh, Kong was doing it for her. Oh, this was the undressing, yes. Yeah, so the log, the log flip happens. Everybody dies except for Jack and one other fella who was on the opposite side. So just like the 1933 Kong yeah. where, uh, you know, two survivors left over. And uh, uh, Kong is pissed off because he can't get to Jack. Um, and, and last thing about the log flip. <laughs> why, why is there a light source coming up from the chasm? Yeah, there's certain the, lighting the, like the, the the first mate is wearing his his naval uniform with white pants white pants mm-hmm. there's clearly light going up his crotch that's not how that's not how light works <laughs> i know I, I have a problem in movies where it's so obvious that we have the giant light in the background like you're just like oh my god in fast and the furious you can actually see it you can see the giant light on the road when they have like a like a, an overhead view i'm like there's the that's the light that's the thing. Um, <laughs> I think in the Unborn, I noticed it where the lady sits on the couch and you can see it's like the, there's like track lighting. There's like lighting coming from underneath. I'm like, why? That looks so stupid. Like, I know you're trying to light it, but it I can tell what you're doing. I didn't notice it in this scene, but I'll take your word well, for it. Well, it just trust me. Okay. This movie is all over the place with its lighting where I, I, I didn't look up who the DP or who the lighting people were, but... Um, they're very good at like sexy lighting, so like ah. highlights and stuff, like things that are made like meant to make people look good. Even even the gorilla, although it's very inconsistent. Actually, I can't get away from this fucking log scene. I am sorry, Kyle, but Keep the going. the worst the worst shots of King Kong in this entire movie happened in the scene because they didn't they didn't lube him up. You know, part of like rendering like realistic animal skin in like in like monster suit form. Involves, you know, putting like KY jelly on them or something. Something to, you know, skins have skin has oil on it, you know. Uh-huh. So that that's in, an important element of rendering the effect of a living creature uh, in rubberized form. Somebody forgot to loop the gorilla because he looks dry as fuck. Like he look he looks like my tires outside. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like he looks kind of like sad gray instead of you know proud majestic black. <laughs> or obsidian black or whatever you want to call it uh somebody missed a step is what i'm saying in terms of prepping the suit that day um anyway <laughs> so um jack is on the hunt for dwan still uh petrox does the airdrop uh we're not entirely sure what it is that's been dropped we retrieve it from the ocean and we get a whole bunch of banter on the beach with charles groden yelling on the radio like a fucking war general and uh, he makes it clear that his plan at this point is to capture the gorilla because they had a previous ad campaign involving tigers or something that worked for the company. Uh, he doesn't want to come home empty-handed, so God damn it, he's going to get that gorilla. Uh, so this is actually kind of a, a difference between some of the other King Kong movies, where this is this is the plan to capture Kong, formulating much earlier and more distinctly. Where in the original 1933 one, it was out of desperation. Mm. They got like pushed to the beach, and then they threw they threw gas bombs at him. That and then Denim was like, 
hey, we have a sleeping gorilla on the beach. We should take him home with us. Um, and we didn't really shoot a film. And in this guy's case, he's like distinctly gunning for, he's precisely gunning for the gorilla at this point. Like that's the plan now. Um, and his delivery during this entire sequence is in full cartoon fashion where he's like gnashing his teeth and he's like Exxon shell gasoline <laughs> like uh, Petrox and I want to say every bit of dialogue in this beach scene is dubbed by the way because they probably had shitty acoustics outdoors and with crashing waves yeah. and stuff but anyway uh, they're planning some sort of capture for kong uh the captain's getting kind of pissed because he's like hey my boys are out there and we're not doing anything about it fred tells him to go fuck himself um and jack continues to pursue and we get another shitty set uh so this would be like the volcano slash like mountain area Mm -hmm. Uh, so kong carries dwan up there and it's like this foggy like mountain area and it looks like it's maybe five feet wide or something and the rest of it is matte paintings um it's just something this scale needs to have more detail to look right and this is not very detailed it just it just looks like a man in a gorilla suit in the back of a halloween store Mm -hmm. i'm I'm sorry like this is not one of the better effects in the movie um but yeah this is where he starts undressing her and i think we do get a bit of boob through her her uh puka shell necklaces and stuff um and then Kyle, your favorite part, random snake. <laughs> it comes out of nowhere, and you barely see, like, it's barely seen. Uh, and then he just all of a sudden rips it. Like, he rips its uh, mouth open, but you can only see half of the mouth. Like, you can barely see this snake. Yeah, I, I want to say somebody was embarrassed by this effect or something. Because like you said, they went to the trouble to make a big old snake, and it wrestles with him for about 10 seconds, and then he tears its fucking head off yeah Um, it doesn't put up much of a fight um from a utilitarian standpoint like really the only reason the big crazy crazy giant snake by the way this thing's bigger than he is like this is a record-setting snake yeah (laughs) uh jack should just like put everything else on hold and just examine this fucking snake but from a logistical standpoint the only reason the snake is here is to give duan a way to get away from khan yeah like just a way for him to have to put her down and to be busy doing something else and uh it succeeds in doing that jack arrives on the scene just in time to reunite with her um kind of similar to the 33 version although not nearly as thrilling because we don't get a pteranodon um they jump from the cliffside into the water and uh kong Apparently, jack says at some point that apes don't swim he is proven wrong mm-hmm. uh, but in this case kong doesn't jump in to chase them so they're headed back to the village um and the petrox crew and charles groden have set up a uh, chloroform like uh, pit basically mm-hmm. so they, they've created like a, a really rudimentary like pit for him to like they cover it with leaves and branches and stuff for him to fall into so like a pretty basic hunting trap um but they have all these barrels rigged with explosives to tip over and spill chloroform um, uh, they do some more in out in out with that gate, mm-hmm. um, and I think I think your th- your theory is rock solid, Kyle, because um, as as the gorilla is coming, um, <laughs> <laughs> what very, right into it? Very poor choice of words. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, as the gorilla is approaching. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
there's this random extraneous bit of dialogue where uh, Charles Grodin actually looks to his chemist buddy and some of the other crew members and is like, are you sure that Gorilla can break through the, the gate? And they all look at each other and this is a weird this is a weird bit of like dressing down Kong in some ways because they don't have confidence in him to break the gate. I mean, he Which hasn't so th- far, apparently. I-, I guess, but it's a monster movie. You're supposed to like hype up the yeah. monster, make him look good. In this case, they're like, oh, I think that gorilla's kind of a wuss. <laughs> I don't know if he can do it, boss. <laughs> so they actually do, like, this is where we get the in out, where they do half open the gate. Like, they do unlash it just a little bit. Um, but then they have to completely unlatch it uh, because Jack and Dwan show up with, of course, him shirtless and carrying her because American movie in the 70s. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, uh, they end, I think they end up trying to latch the gate again. So we literally do get an in-out, in-out. But, yeah, uh, I like the sequence where Kong is smashing the gate open. Um, Rick Baker looks like he had a shit ton of fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably hot in that <laughs> like, thing. He's just like, fuck this just going nuts oh yeah no i mean um the the fella that took over the godzilla suit after nakajima kind of retired uh ken pachiro satsuma um his godzilla acting method was rage nice like that on the set he said all i was doing in that thing was cussing and just like thrashing around (laughs) like people on the set were like that guy's fucking scary (laughs) okay yeah, just imagine a guy in a Godzilla suit walking around and all you're hearing is cuss words in Japanese. <laughs> it's the whole time. But um, Yeah, long story short, he smashes through the gate and in another instance of making this gorilla look utterly pathetic, uh, he takes one step into the camp and he falls into that hole and he passes the fuck out. How did they have time to dig a hole this big? Beats me, Kyle. Yeah. They, yeah. Had, a, they, had, a, they had a cat excavation vehicle and if you've seen tremors you know how capable a cat is (laughs) (laughs) much can be done with the cat (laughs) i love that in that movie what about the cat (laughs) i watched that movie way too late in life so it just did not yeah it did not ruined it well uh, that's what happens you in point break so yeah actually fair point yeah I, I I rescind that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, this I guess gets at one of the major differences between this Kong and every other Kong is that I I've probably said it too many times. It's probably getting annoying at this point, but this is not an action movie, and the depiction of Kong in this film is largely sympathetic. Like he's supposed to come across as like a victim, especially by the he turns into Jesus at the end of this movie yeah. uh, in some ways, but um, yeah, the idea is instead oh, he does. of the, he does actually, yeah. he totally does yeah. like, like passion of the Christ version that is. Um, but yeah, he, he's not meant to be, you know, a thrill a minute, like action roller coaster figure. Um, he's not a superhero. He's just a big animal in this that happens to have the hots for admittedly a very hot blonde. Um, and I, I, I appreciate the attempt to do something different, but it makes it very boring. Because, like I said, as like a kid seeing this movie for the first time, all you want is for him to punch a fucking dinosaur. Yeah. Or, or punt a car or, or, or anything. <laughs> or like, or chew, a, chew a dude up and spit him out. But every time the movie is telling us it's about to happen... He gets chloroformed or some shit. <laughs> Have him pick up a lady from a, an apartment building and drop her. Like, give us. Thankfully, he does do that. 
but does he do that? I didn't even notice. I I mean, honestly, once we get to New York, I'm just like, oh, okay, there's another 45 minutes. Let's let's go. Yeah, it, it, it's way too little, too late. They go to and a fucking bar, like they just like oh, let me buy you a drink. I'm like, you're we're at the climax, and you are having a bar scene for like five minutes. Again, your delivery, Kyle. For some reason, you could be a fucking bartender for all we know. Bartender for all we know. I don't know why I'm making all these associations. Maybe my my wires are crossed. It's been a long day, but maybe my fuck was um, on on par with uh, Dwayne's. Like they're just the the the. My my favorite Dwayneism, and there are many. That man doesn't have that many lines in that movie. We're gonna but need more FBI he has guys. Is fucking gold. Oh, I mean that's I that's a close that. second. My mine is when uh, they're asking for the go like the go code to like enter the building. And he just pauses. Kick ass. Yeah. <laughs> I like him. Holy you, Christ! You listen to me, you little asshole. I love his ass. Asshole. <laughs> yeah, that was a that was a Vince McMahon asshole. <laughs> it was. Gruff. <laughs> yeah. uh, anyway, but yeah. This this movie is really not interested in having Kong deliver the action goods, so instead we're meant to feel bad for him, um, and which I don't. I, it, <laughs> yeah, it, it sometimes works. More often than not, you're just like I'm bored. Can we do something? But anyway, we do capture Kong. We don't show the logistics of putting him on the ship because that would be impossible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just he's on there. Cut, don't worry about that. Yeah, we cut to an oil tanker at sea. And we get a not-so-well-lighted scene of our three mains, uh, so Charles Grodin, Jessica Lang, and Jeff Bridges, all hanging out on the ship. And I guess Dwan is now like a a promotional model or something for Petrox. Yeah. Uh, she gets the papers from Charles Grodin. Uh, the two of them are super fucking hyped. Jeff Bridges is like, you guys are both idiots. Yeah. What am I doing? Oh, and they're playing like uh, backgammon or Parcheesi or something. <laughs> it's so weird. They're on the, they're on the, an oil tanker playing like fucking backgammon. It's like I don't even know how to play that. <laughs> I don't know how to play Parcheesi. That's that's like one of those games that's like you you get one of those boxes that has multiple games in it, mm. like a chess yeah. slash checkers set, and you're like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> like, <laughs> and you ask your dad, and he's like, I don't know. <laughs> you think I know? Jeez. But um, this is where Charles Grodin strikes his uh, pose that I may actually have to take a still of like right now i might have to print screen this because i'm going to do it for kyle where he's like trying to get both of them as hyped as he is and nobody can because charles groden but he's like <laughs> it's like a jim carrey pose actually it's an ace ventura pose where he's got his mouth hanging wide open he's got his he, his fists in like pelvic thrusting position and he keeps flipping his head back and forth like ah, ah. he doesn't have a good crazy guy smile he has a few moments in clifford uh, where he has like a, a menacing like I'm going crazy smile probably in Beethoven too. <laughs> um, when did Clifford come out? By the way, this is in the '90s. I think it was like '92 or '93. I had never heard of it honestly, but you really? brought it up not just on this episode. So '94, maybe, maybe I missed out. <laughs> uh, if you like Martin Short, it's fun. I do. It's fun because he plays a ten-year-old boy. Uh, oh shit! Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty fun. Uh, he is infuriating in that movie. Just you. Want... Okay, may- maybe not then. Maybe not then. It's I, I, it's fun. I don't know what it says about me as a person, Kyle. But um, even as a child, mischief 
was was not something I was terribly fond of. Like those like '90s kid power movies. Like I was always in the back of my head. I was always like, "Oh, that's gonna be so hard to clean up." Oh, it's not. <laughs> you guys really got to cut it out. It's not a kid power movie. Uh, okay, great. He's a he is a conniving little ten year old, uh, manipulating <laughs> conniving little ten year old. It's yeah, it's it's worth your time. I I recommend it. Should they have a uh, Clifford versus Stewart from Mad TV or some shit? Uh, Stewart had no direction. Uh, he had no real objective in mind. Uh, Clifford has an objective, and he will reach it. <laughs> okay, duly noted. His dad is played by Richard Carn, by the way. Or Richard Kind, not not Richard Carn, Richard Kind, Richard Kind. Ooh, even better. Yeah. Uh, from from a uh, Spin City. Yeah. I was going to say enthusiasm? Uh, a serious man, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's fantastic in everything. Yeah. I, I adore that man. He's very he, funny. He, he makes you smile without even saying a thing. Like, he just shows up and you're like, oh, man, it's going to be good. He is a funny running gag on uh, Scrubs as well. Dude, you cannot find Spin City anywhere. Really? Yeah, I wanted to, I'm like, I will, I, will, I will buy it on Amazon. I don't care. I'll watch it because I want to go back and watch that show. It's ABC, so I don't know if they have a a platform pluto tv that's that was, where you can get it that was on in the perfect time slot while i was in college so i, I watched a lot of that a lot of yes dear and a lot of becker <laughs> a lot of off off brand uh sitcoms <laughs> i remember really liking alan ruck in that show i don't remember who that was alan ruck <laughs> uh Cam- yeah. cameron from ferris bueller's day off the guy with the, he's got, got... oh yeah in, in uh spin city, spin city okay. yes yeah, yeah, he was he was great. Also a Stewart, I believe. Um, anyway, anyway, back to the big gorilla. Uh, so we have him in the cargo hold, and we're just like casually dropping fruits and veggies down this like grating. Um, pretty sure you need to give him more than that to feed yeah, him. Yeah, no That's, shit. His metabolism's probably okay. nuts. This is actually interesting, uh, or something I wanted to bring up because is he eating the virgins or is he eating the the sacrifice? Is that what they're doing? I'm assuming, but gorillas don't eat meat chimpanzees. yeah i thought they were vegetarians yeah, mostly primates if, are, if completely chimpanzees will eat meat and i it's cannibal it's like they they participate. they'll eat other monkeys they'll, yeah they, they're, <laughs> they're cannibals like they they will eat other they will eat meat but gorillas no they're they're vegetarian they're 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 vegan <laughs> so um I, it doesn't make any sense like in the movie I, I think it's always been implied that he's eating them um in uh some king kong movies he eats people um in the first king kong curiously enough he puts them in his mouth but he never eats them he just chews them up just sucks on them like a hard candy yeah 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 like a pickled plum or something but um a pickled plum i was gonna say a worthless orange what the fuck's a pickled plum try it sometimes it's great (laughs) (laughs) sounds japanese it is (laughs) anyway uh he doesn't eat anyone in this one but in the direct sequel which also produced by Dino De Laurentiis and also directed by John Gillerman, uh, King Kong Lives. That would be the direct sequel wherein uh, Linda Hamilton gives King Kong a artificial heart transplant and blood transfusion. Wait, what? <laughs> yes, these are all things that happen in the direct sequel to this Linda movie. Ham- which, Kyle, which, Kyle, um, that movie was on the watch list for catching up on cinema long before this one was. Really? You should have mentioned that because that would have been... I just uh, Linda Hamilton gives King Kong a heart transplant. Yes, a heart transplant, and then we get a juicy finale where he fights the military as represented by Taggart from Beverly Hills Cop. Ah, um, 
and he also kills a bunch of redneck uh, hunters in the in the woods in like I think California or something. Mm. It's kind of it's it's a schlocky movie. Uh, it doesn't have the budget or the ambition of this one. Same director, same producer though. Somebody had some confidence I in it. I think this movie did well enough that they're like, do another one. It'll make money. <laughs> Uh, but really, all I wanted to say was that in King Kong Lives, he does eat people. Okay. Um, and in in Kong Skull Island, there are implied eatings of people. Where they, there's a lot of really cool edits in that movie where we cut away from something horrible, but it's, the timing is so precise where it's like, oh, I got all the information I need. <laughs> oh, I got it. <laughs> no, they do shit like um, if I remember right, and I could be misquoting the movie, but it's like one of the military guys falls out of one of the Hueys into his mouth that's open oh nice and then we cut to someone biting into a sandwich oh nice <laughs> it's like oh that's beautiful gotcha. like that's so that's so amateurish in some ways but it's perfect at the same time but uh anyway kong is throwing a fit in the cargo hold and uh Dwan has been kind of having some misgivings she's like on the fence about how to feel about things because she got a brand new job it's looking good um clearly she was in some form of dire straits before all this all these uh, hijinks, all these monkey hijinks and whatnot. Um, but she goes out to visit Kong because he's like banging some holes in the in the in the hole <laughs> of the ship. Um, he's like causing problems to the interior of the ship. So she runs out there and calms him down. Like she goes and she sits on this grating and she actually falls into the the holding with Kong. And we get this overly long sequence of her falling, him catching her, and then he like has a food coma or something because <laughs> he sets her down and then he just lets her go and doesn't even sit up like he's just like totally chill <laughs> but the music's meant to tell us that it's it's sad and we get some cool matte paintings of her like climbing out of the interior but it's just like it just goes on and on mm-hmm. and on and nothing actually happens he just watches her leave uh, and then we're in new york uh, which begins the finale in the movie where she's like getting all dressed up and uh, Fred is dressed in like a kitschy like safari outfit. And we have like a public unveiling of Kong uh, somewhere in New York, like the outskirts of the city. And Kyle, do you, would you like to try to describe this, uh, this setup they have here? The, like what they have him in? Yeah. It's very strange. Uh, it does not look secure. Uh, <laughs> I would be completely. It looks off. like it looks like a uh, like a dirt bike rally or something. <laughs> yeah, I. It's hard to describe. What I don't know how to describe the thing that he they've got him confined to. It's. I can tell you exactly what it is. Go for it. Um. So they wheel they wheel him out like on a track, and so they the what we're doing is a recreation of the island scenario. But there's a whole bunch of people like with bleachers surrounding this. So this is very much a public unveiling with the Petrox logo all over the place. Um, and they have Dwan like tied with like uh, Hulk Hogan uh, boas or something uh, to these like silver pillars that are meant to mimic what she was uh, tied to on the island. And then uh, a gate opens and a gigantic gas pump wheels out to her. A Petrox gas pump uh, wheels out to her, and then they they take the lid off of it, like like the slipcase on a VHS uh, tape. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it reveals a cage that is holding King Kong, who is like hand hand and foot cuffed, 
to the interior of the steel cage, uh, and he's also wearing a crown. Yes. Uh, so this is this film's interpretation of of the like the stage show in the 1930s version. Um, I get what they're going for here. This is very 70s, very kitschy, like very very gaudy and and downright silly. Um, but I could totally see some stupid shit like this happening. Like something about the the arrangement of the set and like the American flag um, uh, motif on all of the decorations makes me think of like an Evil Knievel show or some shit. This reminds me of the scene in Apocalypse Now when they bring the playmates in for all the guys mm, to see. Mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. what that's what this remind me of. Good, good, good call there. Um, I hadn't thought of that, but you're totally right. Man, that scene got crazy. Yeah. That's the Coppola has like he's made such iconic films like like especially in the seventies there, but there are definitely moments in those movies where you can like just pluck that out and that that whole scene was like just take that out and it's totally fine. Yeah, it's very very long and it it has an intensity to it that's interesting, but it doesn't connect all that well with the movie if you ask me. I. Uh, not to derail us, but uh, I think the wedding scene in The Godfather. I love that opening scene at the wedding. I, I, I like the I like the second one, the the wedding in that one. See, that one bugged me. I don't know what it was. I I did not like the it's even longer Kyle because it's, it's longer, and I don't like the setting. I didn't like the I didn't like the the setting there. Gotcha. It is kind of fucked up that they put her back into like the, the chains. I like that's kind of messed up, dude. Like that was probably really traumatic for her. Yeah, uh, but put a pin in that when we get to the very, very end of the movie because I'm curious if maybe you can find a reason for this because I wasn't able to really. But um, anyway, things go as exactly as you would expect, although it's important to note here that um, apparently the way this film was promoted, um, a lot of the special effects were kept very hush-hush during production, so nobody really had any idea of how King Kong was going to be rendered in the film. Um, which led to, you know, some mystique, uh, which mm-hmm. led to some, you know, ticket sales for sure. Um, but one thing that was disclosed to the public and hyped the fuck out of was uh, a 50-foot-tall uh, robot Kong, I think was what they were calling it. You know, it's a it's a giant robotic animatronic, basically. And it, liter- it literally was 50 feet tall. Um, yeah. <laughs> Is that the scene you're talking about? Yes. Yeah. I was just about to comment on that. I'm like, holy shit. I'm like, either that's an excellent, like, uh, camera trick that they did, or that's a 50-foot fucking Kong. No, it, it is a 50-foot prop. The only problem is that its articulation and its ability to perform was terrible. Gotcha. Like, it, it really wasn't flexible enough. It couldn't move with any sort of speed or intention. That's where all your uh, money so, went. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I'm sure that was the case. Um and yeah, it was used to promote the film very heavily, but in terms of its actual screen time in the finished product, it's like two shots. It's, it's, it's like it's like it's like barely five seconds. It's not even five seconds. It's two seconds, yeah. I think. Yeah, it's used very very sparingly and pretty much exclusively in this sequence. Um, so that was that was kind of mean on the part of the yeah, part right. of the producer. Actually, very clever on the part of the producer, Dino, who is not dumb. Uh, (laughs) but uh yeah predictably kong breaks free um very similar to the 33 version um the press start to harass duan and it uh enrages the animal uh so he breaks free of his holdings and uh there's this like awkward moment where it's like okay uh he's free 
He hasn't done anything yet, but maybe if we maybe if we stay quiet and very slowly back out, we'll be all <laughs> yeah, be okay. right. We'll, we'll all be okay. Oh no, they just um, scream and take off running. <laughs> yeah, and uh, there's some cool shots. In oh here of, man, um, that looks bad. Of, Sorry, I yeah. didn't catch. The, oh my goodness. <laughs> good lord. Oh, good god. Yeah, that was really bad. Yeah, it doesn't move well. Um, looks okay in stills, but once it tries to raise its arms, mm-mm, mm-mm. Mm-mm. but there's some cool composite shots in here of him yeah. stepping on the crowd. Yeah, I'm watching. I'm, just I'm watching it right it's now. It's kind of cool. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of cool because like uh, instead of like having dramatic moments where people get stepped on or like stomped on and stuff, he just very casually wades into the crowd because mm-hmm. it's like they're like ants to him. They're like bugs. Like, um. And this is also where Charles Grodin meets his end. Uh, somehow, I have no clue how, uh, he ends up in front of the gorilla while he's like, he like runs up to it. He does. <laughs> it's so bizarre. The blocking is terrible. Where We see him in the crowd getting pushed around and he's moving away. And then all of a sudden he's alone and he, he like marches up to the gorilla and he gets stepped on. Um, needs to be said, uh, production detail. Apparently the like the script didn't have him die in this movie really um apparently kong stepped next to him and it's interesting because this was foreshadowed by him falling into the the footprint earlier in the film um but yeah apparently a version of the script existed where uh and it may have been shot where he doesn't get stepped on kong misses him and then he's you know left to live with his guilty conscience or whatever um also (laughs) i could not watch it I, I actually made an attempt, but um, a uh, Twitter uh, account called Daikaiju TV, I think they stream via like Twitch or something, uh, they announced that they were screening the three-hour television cut of this movie. Oh, gosh. A few weeks ago, and I did actually put it on, but I found it so insufferable, I I actually gave up. Gotcha. And you know me, that that's rare. Like, yeah, that's I tough. usually don't give up on movies. And uh, yeah, I couldn't do it. But apparently in the extended cut, uh, there's a sequence where, like, I think Fred Wilson's boss chews him out from the bleachers and tells him, you'll never work in this town again or something. <laughs> it's it's weird. Um, but, you know, it's the three-hour extended cut, so it was like, everything we shot is now in the film, <laughs> like, regardless of whether it drags the film down or not. Uh, but, yeah, uh, our, our, our two remaining leads flee the scene, and uh, we get the iconic train sequence. Uh, which actually looks pretty okay. Yeah. Uh, so Kong steps up to these train tracks. Unlike in a Kong 33, he really doesn't have a reason for smashing up the tracks. He just does it. Whereas in 33, I love that the the one train buzzed him and like he's like whoa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so he takes out his aggression, you know, on the tracks because the train has long since passed and something has to get smashed. This set looks really be- good. Oh yeah, yeah. the The set for the train sequence looks fantastic, and like all the electrical cracking and stuff. Um, th- this was uh, what the Universal Studios ride really, really banked on it when it came to uh, like advertising. I remember being a kid and seeing like TV commercials for uh, Universal Studios, and the the Kong portion of the tour or whatever always looked like the coolest fucking thing ever. Um, it was it was this basically, mm. but. Um, we we do a combination of of two scenes here where instead of kong uh, reaching into apartment buildings and stuff uh, he peels the the roof off of one of these train cars and by the way uh, our two leads are in this train so he he's smells her yeah down. 
Yeah, he smells her. Um, and a different blonde woman in a similar dress is in the train, and he picks her up, and <laughs> because it's suitmation, instead of him, like, tossing, a, like, a stop-motion lady, uh, he literally just, like, grabs, like, a Barbie doll and, yeah. like, tosses it. <laughs> it's pretty savage. It's kind of cool. But anyway, he throws the train off the tracks and causes an explosion. Um, also, the extended cut has a moment that, oh, my God, I actually wish it was in this version of the movie because it's so small, but it's so... It's what this movie needs. Uh, it's more of him walking through the streets of New York. And, like, just a random car pulls up to him. And he picks it up and he throws it into a window of a building. Like, yeah, that works. <laughs> it's, yes. Uh, more of that, please. But, um, Kyle, do you remember anything that happened um, when we're, we're running away from the giant gorilla? And then we decide to take a break for some booze? Yeah, so... He, they're running, and uh, he's taking. I guess he's gonna like go over to the go over to Manhattan. It looks like he's gonna cross the river there, and they're just like, "Oh, we got away from him." Twin Towers. Let's go grab a drink. They're just like, "We're gonna, we're gonna go grab a drink." And I, I don't understand why. Like, is it just like, well, we're all fucked now? Uh, I, I don't really understand why we're we're. It's the climax, and we're sitting in a bar. It's the dumbest yeah, thing. We're, we're sitting in a bar. Um, I get this in like like suicide mission movies and stuff. Like the the Wild Bunch has a a famous scene where it's before the the you know final gun battle and stuff, and we just go through a a walk through town and there's just this like calm before the storm. Only problem is this movie doesn't have a storm, Mm-mm. and just when you think it's starting, we cut it halfway through and we we take a booze break. Yeah, um, I did like that they're in the middle of running, and I think she still has her heels on. That really irritates me in movies. It, yeah, it really irritates me. It, it's a pet peeve of mine. I understand it's strange, but it's it's personal. You can't I, run I just in don't heels. Like seeing that. You can't run in heels. It, you can't run in heels, and I just I hate seeing like women in movies being asked to do action stuff and being forced to wear goofy heels. It's yeah. like, you're going to roll an ankle. Yeah. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. <laughs> I'm not rolling an ankle for you, bro. But yeah, so Jeff Bridges uh, figures out, he's like, you know, on that island, there's those two big rocks that kind of look like the Twin Towers. So I think he's going to go there. And uh, yeah, he's right. That's exactly where he's headed. Yeah, uh, similar view. So he assumes the gorilla's going to, go to where he thinks he he probably thinks he's still on the island in some fashion or something but uh not before uh while jeff bridges is on the phone kong scoops up uh Duan and uh she seems to have mixed feelings about this at this point um and the military has assembled uh, at the two towers because of jeff bridges giving them the tip um also it's kind of interesting that the relationship between our two leads at this point is like really fractured and tenuous at best where it's like he he was given quite a bit of money for helping out with securing Kong and stuff, but he like tore up the contract and basically gave it back. Whereas Duan is like officially a Petrox employee and is like fully bought into things. It's her big break, dude. You're not, you're not walking away from this. Yeah, it's her big break, but you can tell Jeff Bridges doesn't approve. So like with her, with him, like doing the hero thing of like running around town and trying to save her from the big gorilla, you can tell that it's like, I don't think he, I don't think he cares about her emotionally as much anymore. <laughs> Does, okay, so he, he while he's on the phone, Kong just kind of sneaks in and just grabs her. I'm like, wait, huh? 
Um, yeah. So yeah, the the big giant mechanical hand comes in through the door of the bar, and uh, she she could run away, but she just kind of stands there, and he grabs it. Yeah, Jeff Bridges tells the guys like, "Hey, he's headed to the Twin Towers," and Godzilla starts scaling the side. Of the Godzilla King Kong. It's been a long day. King Kong. It's been a long month. Yeah. <laughs> King Kong has been. He is scaling this. Jeff Bridges takes the elevator up to a point. Where Jeff Bridges is supposed to be scaling the Twin Tower. And not at like the 10th floor, the 20th floor. He is up like at an insane height on the outside of the building. Yeah. Um, in case you weren't aware, Twin Towers were pretty tall. They were <laughs> enormous. Yes. Yeah. Uh, looking at the interior of that elevator i was gasping when i saw it was well over 100 stories um so yeah uh the the gorilla is outpacing the elevator somehow though (laughs) but um, also i like that they put like a barbie doll on his shoulder for when he's using both of his hands to climb so like i guess he put her there to hold on to his fur or something he has incredible upper body strength so yeah uh oh yeah he's jacked um but yeah long story short we get to the top of one of the two towers and uh duan is in his hand he's looking at the moon and then we hear helicopters um because 70s and uh you know instead of biplanes it would probably make more sense to send helicopters (laughs) but then we get like a a pointless thing here that i'm glad it's here but it's totally pointless it's kind of like the one of the monsters in Big Trouble in Little China, where it's just like, whoa, what the fuck was that? And yeah. it's gone as quickly as it showed up in the sewers. Um, basically, uh, in, before the helicopters get, there's some guys with flamethrowers that just appear on the roof. Yeah. How the fuck did they <laughs> get there? Yeah, how the fuck did they beat both of them to the roof? And not only that, they are de- deliberately disobeying orders. Yeah. <laughs> they were told to stand oh, down because they took the, the window has a hostage. They took the window washer. Which, That's right. Yeah, they took they took the exterior elevator, which would take a long time to get up there. Also, I'm not taking the fucking window washing thing up there. Are you out of your That's fucking scary. mind? The wind, the wind up there, man. The wind. You didn't think about the wind. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fucking scary. Uh, but yeah, these these motherfuckers. They just there's like three of them. They all have fucking flame flamethrowers, and they see that he's carrying a woman, and they just start shooting fire at him. And he jumps from. Uh, the one tower to the other uh yeah it's pretty great (laughs) it looks really fucking stupid there's a like there's a really funny shot of jeff bridges like when they jump over and the guy like the guys with the flamethrowers are running you can just see jeff bridges on the outside of the building with his (laughs) he looks like he looks like one of those garfields with the suction cups (laughs) on the inside of a car windshield and that's how he spends the rest like the climax of the film is like just pressed up against this window outside before before I rewatched this movie, um, that particular angle of him has always been burned into my my mind, like since I first saw this movie, because it's the most unflattering angle, yeah. Jeff <laughs> especially with the beard, like the big bushy beard. Mm-hmm. And at one point, like so, Kong grabs like a some sort of gas tank yeah. from the roof, and he he underhands it. Yeah, <laughs> he he granny shoots it to the other tower, and it blows up the flamethrower troops and. Jeff Bridges' reaction is like a is like a frenzied yeah yeah. Well, <laughs> it's the, like hang on, th- three people died. <laughs> well, the problem with this angle is Jeff Bridges has like blonde hair, and 
uh, it's hard to see his eyebrows. So with this <laughs> angle where you're looking up at his face, he doesn't look like he has any eyebrows. He just looks crazy. He looks like an insane person. Yes. <laughs> like, he doesn't look stable. He looks like his dreams at Big Lebowski when he's, like, going underneath the oh, lady. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, when he's yeah. going underneath the lady. I know exactly lady. what you're talking about. Yeah. When his eyes are all bugged out and he's got his head leaning back. Yeah, it looks exactly like that. So uh, if you're curious, look that up. And they've got fucking uh, mini guns on this helicopter, and they are just, just lighting yeah, them up. Yeah, this should be a slaughter. Um, unfortunately, two of these helicopters... Uh, get punched by Kong. It's like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, just stay. Like in in Rocky Two, stay away from him. <laughs> I mean, he's getting just stay away from him. He's getting clipped by bullets the size of a banana, and they are accelerating at the speed of. <laughs> There's no yeah, break. These are the, these are machine cannons, not 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 machine gun, machine cannon. Yeah, um, but yeah, you have to have uh, him grab one out of the air. Yeah, yeah, and he gets two of them though, and he yeah. uh, he does a double he double does a double axe handle. Uh, it would have been nice to see like a clothesline or something. <laughs> rock bottom, rock bottom you, <laughs> on, on a helicopter. Yeah, uh, you do kind of feel bad for him in this last in this last section. Like I don't know if the, the way his face changes, he's less menacing here, and he does seem a little more like kind of sweet. Yeah, so this was a. Uh, what Kyle and I had mentioned before, this is the, the Jesus moment where this is where Kong turns into like a martyr for a second here where uh, he uh, he gets kind of tortured like it, he death by a thousand cuts. Yeah. Um, so he gets chewed up by these these machine cannons, these Vulcans. Um, and yeah, he is just covered in blood. This is actually very gruesome. It is. Otherwise, you know, mostly tame movie. But the, the amount of bloodletting here. And all the squibs going off is pretty pretty nasty shit. There's yeah. a reason why I wasn't allowed to watch this movie when I was very young. Uh, it was probably boobs over uh, blood, but a combination of the See, two. My, my parents were more likely to let us watch the bloody stuff than the boobs for some Same reason. Here. Yeah. Same here. Yeah. That's you know. I don't know how Predator Two <laughs> went under the radar, but <laughs> uh, yeah, it's I'm just picturing because he looks like the John Cleese's gorilla from uh, George of the Jungle, so I'm like really feeling bad now. I'm like, gosh, man. I wonder if Rick Baker was involved in that at all. That is a very, very good possibility. Yeah, you you look that I up. I'll we'll keep things moving. But um, yeah, something about something about Rick Baker's acting here. He does look very pathetic and just spent. Um, also the for some reason the nosebleed in particular makes him look particularly mm. pathetic. Where it's like he he's got no chance here. He's just getting his ass kicked. And again, credit to Jessica Lang. Like she's really selling the emotional beat here. Where. Um, this is, I think, where uh, I, I can't remember if we did this on the episode or before, but um, it's important to note that this version of the characters, the first one that really tried to establish like a concrete romance between his lady captive and him, uh, the big gorilla that is. And uh, this one, much like the Peter Jackson one, has her pleading with him to pick her up again because she knows that they won't shoot at him if as long as he's holding her. Um, that's a huge deviation from the 1933 original where, no, Fay Ray was not terribly pleased about being on top of the Empire State Building at the end of that movie. Um, for fuck's sake, she was getting married. <laughs> like She was engaged. They do pay lip service to that in this movie where Charles Grodin does ask, are you kids getting married? Is there any chance I can get you two like, <laughs> like hooked up together? It'd be great for the press. Um, but they kind of like sidestep that. 
Um, like I said, these two characters don't have chemistry. That's what's interesting, is that Kong definitely has her heart. Um, Jeff Bridges is hot, but they have nothing in common. No. Like, he, he's, you know, a PhD intellectual that is a humanitarian, is, is you know, probably at probably really obnoxious and boring at dinner conversations oh no he's a he's he's a dull dud yeah yeah he'd, he'd probably like always drag things into like heavy territory it's like he's a corrector really? he's a corrector and he'll like mm-hmm. well actually yeah. <laughs> well actually like oh my god would you just let me talk <laughs> let it go it's like, it's like this is the daily show slash like yeah, this is the Daily Show generation. It's like I need my edutainment. You yeah. got to you got to spice it up, otherwise I can't pay attention. Yeah. <laughs> it's like if you're gonna throw facts at me, you gotta have a joke in between. She <laughs> seems like a material girl. Like uh, she she needs a dude with a little more money. Yeah, she material girl and just not not stupid, but just ignorant. Yeah, like just not terribly interested in the world. Yeah, and you know on paper they're a terrible fit. Yeah. <laughs> like, they wouldn't last. No. Um. Anyway, long story short, she's in tears. She's bawling. Uh, Kong is shot to shit, and he falls off the roof, and we get a reverse problem, uh, special effects problem. So um, there's a thing in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3 movie, which nobody cares about because it sucks, where a dude falls off of a cliff, and then they could have cut away from it, but instead they held on the shot, and something is wrong with the blue screen or the optical effect where the dude does a Hans Gruber fall. Like, same technology and whatnot. But he's, like, turning into a dot. And for some reason, they just held on the shot. And instead of him, like, hitting the water or, like, hitting the ground or something, he just blips out of existence. <laughs> but they continue to hold on the shot. So he's like, ah! <laughs> and they have the reverse of that in this one where Kong rolls off. He falls on his back and then he rolls off of the World Trade Center. And we get a shot looking up from the ground level of the towers and just, it's just tower. And then, blip, there's a gorilla. <laughs> it just, he just appears. You should look it up, Kyle. It's fucking hilarious. Because it's just, it's a good, like, couple tenths of a second where it's just the tower. Then, bam, gorilla. <laughs> and then he falls towards you. Um, but yeah, he falls. He comes crashing to the ground. Gets a very dramatic death where I believe that there's like a heartbeat playing over the entire thing. Um, very slowly slowing down and then a huge crowd masses around his fallen corpse um, including Duan who's like front and center while the press is taking photos of her and everybody around her is like pushing her around and stuff and like clearly they, they want like a photo of her but they're also like physically like kind of jostling her and like putting her in weird positions and stuff and this very end of the movie here is, is what I was curious about what you if anything thought about was I think Jeff Bridges sees her in the they're like he's in the crowd and she's standing in front of the gorilla and being harassed by the press and the police and stuff and they like look at each other and they're 20 30 feet apart and he just gives like like a look like oh oh Dwan and uh, I think they don't reunite it's like the end of Mad Max Fury Road like they just look at each other and then he's just gone yeah I don't know I don't know what this is about I think it's supposed to be some sort of commentary about, like, I don't know, selling out or, or like, seeking, like, vacuous, you know, fame. Yeah, selling out was a big thing when things were cheap. And it's like, oh, you're just doing this for the money. Now it's like, I will do anything for money. Are you kidding me? Like, I got bills to pay. Back then, it was like, eh, I kind of got bills to pay. It's not a big deal. So, yeah, selling out was a bigger thing. 
I'd love to sell out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we still had like the we still had a little bit of the hippie generation left over in the mainstream and stuff. So like the idea of becoming a corporate shill was probably not held in high regard in some circles, but it's just a very curious moment in an otherwise very straightforward movie where it's just like, you know, these two people who have been positioned as like our, our breeding pair, Mm -hmm. all of a sudden, like he's very judgmental of her and she looks, she looks like she's exactly where she wants to be, but she's not happy about it. So I think there's a message there. For for sure there is. I just don't get it. I don't get it. I did the conversion rate on some of the uh, expenses in Mad Men, and I'm like, what the fuck? You're getting this house for that much money? That's insane. And I'm like, that's, that's a steal. So, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I guess, yeah, selling out or being a stooge is just, it was just kind of frowned upon. I'm like, dude, I'd love to be a stooge. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you want you want me to take a picture in front of the big gorilla how much does it uh, sign me up yeah does it like you're gonna you're gonna pay me to be the the face of the uh the oil company yeah sure i'm told uh, to be the model in this yeah totally how much are you gonna pay me <laughs> yeah um but as that's the end of king kong 76 um somehow we talked about it for a very long time and yet I don't know that anything really happened. Nothing. Nothing <laughs> happened in the movie. Uh, it's not good. And it, like I said at the beginning, it's disappointing because it starts. I think it starts off pretty strong. I, I like the way it starts off. It just goes nowhere. And I, I think budget was the limitation. I don't think they could do a lot of cool stuff. So they were limited to the drama and the romance of King Kong and Dwan, which is still very weird. And I don't understand the sexual undertones of this film I'm not of which sh- there are many there are many i'm not sure <laughs> they really understood maybe maybe it was like subconscious and the producer was just horny the whole time and he was having them build these things like you have to have it going in and out and they're like but why he's like don't worry about that just just have it going in and out <laughs> just got this thing on my mind little did he know maybe he realized it when he was watching it and he's like oh shit like <laughs> I think I know what I was thinking when I had him do that. <laughs> <laughs> like in the like in the premiere for the movie, you just hear like, "Oh shit!" I am <laughs> sorry. Did you, ever, did you ever watch Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story? I did. Yeah. So he has that. Uh, he he gets like that. He's got like uh, the orchestra. He's like going through some stuff, and he's got all the different things. And like, are you upset because your brother was cut in half? He's like, shh, 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 I'm going through some stuff. So <laughs> they shushes him up. I'm like, I feel like that's what the producer is like on this. And they're like, why do we need to put the big, the big shaft in there? Da, 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 da. I'm working through some stuff. <laughs> well, yeah, like I said, the, the seventies can't speak for the entire decade, but there certainly was a stretch where it was a very horny decade. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we had Charlie's angels and Dukes of hazard and mm-hmm. fucking Dallas. Um, just and also, you know, when it came to pornography and stuff, you know, there were fewer outlets. You 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 had to go to yeah. the movies, and you didn't. If you were really lucky, you saw a nipple. More often than not, you didn't. But you, at least you got the suggestion of one. I don't even think Larry Flint's Penthouse was out at the time. Like we literally just had Playboy, and maybe some other some underground maybe. porno mags. Yeah, maybe Hustler or some shit. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know the timeline on pornographic magazines. But, no. Somebody but does. But point is. Uh, Horny shit in mainstream movies was like a treat 
for you know the dads of the world and stuff <laughs> like the cherry on top yeah it's like oh it's like oh i get to see a gorilla smash some stuff up and oh hey, hey she's nice she's nice looking <laughs> and i you mean i can watch this with the family and like they'll be okay with it all right <laughs> nobody's gonna be suspicious <laughs> like wow this is a great arrangement i like this but yeah i mean i i have heard that uh, Dino De Laurentiis was a very uh, hands-on producer, so this is definitely probably his baby. Um, John Gilderman, as far as I know, was mostly a, a hired gun. Um, so yeah, what whatever was in this movie was was what Dino wanted, and D- Dino knows movies. <laughs> but uh, I think that's a wrap on uh, King Kong 1976, directed by John Gilderman, maybe. <laughs> but. Um, if you'd like to catch up on any of our other Catching Up On Cinema content, uh, you can find all of that collected on our website at catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, we also have a couple of social media accounts in the form of an Instagram, at Catching Up On Cinema, as well as a Twitter, at Catching Cinema. So feel free to hit us up there. Uh, and we are available on pretty much any podcasting platform you can imagine. So Google it. Uh, that being said, though, uh, thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time. Mm-hmm.